Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz pick up an impressive win in Atlanta over a team that uh, is coming off a great playoff run. Not off to a great start this year. With the loss of the Jazz, have now lost four of the last five. But the Jazz do it without Donovan Mitchell. They defended pretty well. Held Atlanta under 100 points. That's a winning number right there. They're 4-0 when they hold teams under 100 points. And in the Jazz' only loss, it was also the only game this year that they didn't break 100 points. So get to 100 points if you want to win an NBA game. And Jordan Clarkson went off 30 points. Didn't shoot it great early in the game, but man, did he catch fire after halftime. Holy cow. One after another after another. Some in the paint, some mid-range stuff, a dunk at the rim. Uh, catch and shoot three on the right side. Uh, <laughs> Bolly dribbled about 27 times in four seconds and then shot it while Donovan Mitchell and Street Clothes mimicked him on the bench behind him. He just could not miss in the second half. And the Jazz win the fourth quarter by 17 and the game by 18. So we'll get to the best of the Jazz postgame show coming up. Got some college football for you now. I assume we're going to see some wins. And I don't think there's a bigger lock than BYU playing Idaho State at home. It almost feels like a scrimmage, to be honest. Uh, That's because, well, it's almost a scrimmage, to be honest. I mean, they're charging full prices, and it's on BYU TV. So I guess it's not a scrimmage. But it's a win. Araya Litauer. He is going to talk a little bit here about uh, the end of the season, and they're right down to it now. Three games. This is senior day. Here he is. Well, let's go back to Saturday for a second. How big was that fumble? Take me through that play because you were out on the edge and came in to, to help make the hit, knock the ball ball free, and, and roll on top of it. What was that like for you? Oh, it's crazy. Um, thanks, Drop 8. <laughs> That's funny because we were running a lot of uh, man – first half and so halftime adjustments we were deciding to drop eight and I was one of the only defensive linemen that knew the drop so I was out there on the wide receiver on the far end <laughs> and uh, it was funny because like a play earlier I was doing the exact same thing and I didn't trigger when I was supposed to so when I came off to the sideline they're like hey you need to respond faster to the run so the very next play in that one um, I saw the run and I declared and I was just like F it. I'm going to just run hella fast at him. And so, like, somebody grabbed him by the leg, and I was like, yep, I'm going to take my shot. <laughs> so I just took it. <laughs> oh, did I say something bad? Oh, no, I didn't say nothing bad. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah. So that, that's pretty much what happened. And, um, yeah, I didn't really notice the ball went out until, like, it hit my back. And I think it was a really cool moment. Yeah, especially with – uh, everything. I thought it was a really great moment, and I felt like the defense responded. Drew came in with a clutch, um, <clears throat> a clutch interception the next series, and uh, the rest of the defensive line just responded and relished the role of three man rushing, and we got pressure when we needed it. So yeah. You were forceful last week talking about that, Lopa, just about the, the scheme and, and, you know, kind of giving your opinion on that. Is it kind of rewarding to see the team, hey, we got to go drop eight, and then it worked as well as it did for you guys to be able to hold them to seven in that second half? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think the scheme was great. I just think, I'll be real with you, I think the players needed to execute a little bit better, uh, myself included, especially in the first half. 
Um, I don't blame the coaches on anything. I think that um, at some point we need to take it upon ourselves to make those critical plays when it's 1v1, uh, when it's just us versus the quarterback. We need to make sure we wrap him up when we have him. Um, yeah, but it, it was good to see that. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was fun to see that uh, the, the drop eight was actually working in the second half not working but like it always works but the, the fans can see the difference between it because you know they had something to compare it to <laughs> all right we'll uh, have a question now from mitch and then jay Lopa, you were able to, to take advantage of that um free year of eligibility last year uh coming back from from the injury has this season been everything you hope for um, yeah, I don't regret coming back. I loved it. Um, it was another opportunity, another year to play. Um, something I met some cool people. Uh, I met a lot of uh, new faces and stuff like that. It's just it's it's been amazing for me, and I love the fact that I came back. And um, I'm gonna miss it for sure. It's gonna be dope. What do you feel will be the the maybe legacy hope for this uh, senior class? Because there's been some highs and lows. Uh, you know, in this in this time and during your time here at BYU, what do you hope is maybe some of the lasting impact? Um, the lasting impact is that we set not just a trend, but like a culture. Like you said, Mitch, we've had a lot of ups and downs. And um, those that have been here for a long time remember those really low downs. And um, it's been a blessing for me, for especially having a long career here, uh, seeing how much the team culture has changed, especially with Kalani at the helm. Uh, I remember when Kalani first came in as a brand new coach, he was like, just not winging it, but like you can tell he was making different adjustments every year. And I feel like he's caught his stride in the past few years. And I just hope that it builds on for the next coming years and it just leaves a legacy. I really do hope that BYU just continues this success because I feel like you know, I've played a part in that, and I just want the freshmen that come in to to make sure that they understand that this is a, this is a place where like we want to be successful and stuff like that. That's something that I wish um, our legacy, especially the guys that are leaving this year, would leave <laughs> because I feel like after this year and next year, a lot of the guys that experienced those downs are gone. So when, um, you know, like it's it's like in the Book of Mormon, you know, like when you only know good times, you don't understand how hard it is. And so, like, I feel like um, that doesn't change. I hope because we're getting a lot of good recruits and stuff. We're going to get a lot of guys that don't know BYU when they're down. And I hope that they understand that um, when they come here, it's to work, you know, it's to build upon this legacy that I hope that we, we cultivated as a team, especially as players. And that's something I really hope stays with BYU. It just looks like we just have time for one more question. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah, Lopa, my question is kind of along that same lines. This is going to be probably the smallest senior day if, uh, if the roster holds. There's only three seniors on the roster. But just what are your emotions like going into your final game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium? How will you uh, I don't know. You know, I, I was really emotional last year when I thought it was going to be my last year. Um, I was emotional when I saw my actual class leaving and walking down the field. But it's 
like against San Diego State when I remember watching Kyrus and Zach Daw and, and Bracken all walking down and Isaiah Kafusi, I just, I don't know, I, I kind of like broke down a little bit on the inside, but like this year it just feels more like satisfying than it does sad. I feel um, grateful and everything, but I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm trying to like bottle, not bottle it all in, but I'm trying to take it all in, if that makes sense. All right, here's another guy who uh, could be playing his final game in Lapini Katoa. Uh, we heard early in the week from uh, the head coach, Kalani Sataki, that there are juniors who can come back, juniors in eligibility who could come back for really what would be their super senior season. This is something we're going to face a couple more times for everybody who was on the roster during the pandemic. Uh, here's Lapini Katoa. What's it been like for you to watch Tyler become the player that he's be, become? Because you guys have, have worked together really closely. I just wondered what that – that process has been like as, as you've seen him evolve? Uh, it's been really cool to watch. Um, he's come from, like, being lost in the meeting room to taking control of it. So, yeah, he's definitely just fully developed, and he's looking great. What's it like getting ready for this weekend and – the uncertainty with COVID and who's going to be going and who's going to be coming back. And, you know, you're getting ready for what could be a final home game for a lot of guys or not. Yeah. I mean, with everything happening as it's just the same, like it's, it's another game for us, the next game for us um, in our journey, you know, this season. So um, try to limit the distractions and, and what, you know, outside things just focus on, you know, playing our best football. Jay, go ahead. Hey, Lopini, speaking of that, have you made a decision yet on, on whether you'll be back or what what you will do in the future? I haven't made my decision yet. I, you know, it's, I still have time, so I'm, I'm unsure yet. So are you, a, you're in your fourth year, right? So you obviously had, would have a redshirt year and or a COVID year. Yeah, I have a COVID year left. Oh, just a COVID year. Okay. Just a COVID year. Yeah, this is my fifth, fifth year. Okay. Okay. Um, and then just you guys being ranked 15th in the college football playoff rankings, does that kind of put a carrot out there for you guys to show that even with two losses, you might be able to get to a big-time bowl game, um, whereas before the rankings came out, it was really long shot? Does that make sense? That yeah. Question? I mean, at the end of the day – um, the selection is is out of our control. So I mean, the most the things we can control is winning the game, right? Hopefully, we can just win win out and and you know we handle the things on our end and then leave it up to them. And hopefully, we get a, a, a good bowl game. And if not, then we'll you know we'll take the bowl game we have. And last question: Just after that phenomenal offensive performance, what has this week been like? Do coaches have anything to nitpick about, or or how does that go? Uh, yeah, I mean, even in a game like that, there's still things to to clean up. And so uh, usually we try to bury the last week's game by on Monday. And so, uh, yeah, we learned from our mistakes. We celebrated a lot while watching the film as well. And so this week has just been focused on cleaning up those mistakes and getting ready for Idaho State. Sean, go ahead. Yeah, Pini, kind of similar. Uh, we were asking you about Ty, but what, what's it like to watch Jaron's maturation for you this year? Because, I mean, we from the outside probably still think of him as kind of the new starting quarterback. Nine games in, that's probably unfair. 
to uh, to call him that. So for, from your point of view, what's it been like to kind of see him sort of grow and mature and, and just fit into this role, like taking over this offense the way that he has? Uh, I don't think anybody's really surprised by it because of um, how he stepped into the role in years prior. And that goes um, the same for Baylor. Uh, they both are – are able to step up and lead the team when called upon. So I think uh, nobody's really surprised by how he's led the team. Bryce, go ahead. Hey, Lopini. I just had a question. What is it, what is the player's mentality going into a game against an FCS team like Idaho State? Is it any different than than any other previous week this season? Um, I think one good motivation for us is, uh, you know, the last time we played them, um, there was kind of a bad feeling at the start of the game. We took a, a little bit to get going, and, and and you never want to feel that way regardless of who you're playing. And so I think our, our main focus, as always, is to put our best result on, to, on the field that we can. There's Lapini Katoa, officially a junior, but maybe playing his last game. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst, Pac-12 analyst. He's up next. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Aggies take a break from Mountain West Conference play for a trip to New Mexico for a showdown against New Mexico State. Catch all the play-by-play action this Saturday, beginning with the Aggie pregame show at 1. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider analyst and Pac-12 analyst, joining us now, and he's joining us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving you free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or you can call 877-346-3333, 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I, I, I hear that someone's got a day off. What, what, what's yeah, going on? DJ, he, you know, he works for the local CBS station here on the uh, weekends, so uh-huh. he's getting a facelift. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Sounds about right. Well, I hope it works out. All right. Botox is for everybody, but I hope it works for him. Okay. So <laughs> PK has to slide over. It'd be like if Brent Musburger was out for a game. You yeah. have to slide over a chair. Yeah. PK sliding over a chair. Joining us <laughs> is a, a gentleman named Tim Lacombe, who's our Utah Jazz basketball analyst. Hey, Tim. What's going on, Lincoln? Long <laughs> time long time fan of yours, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's a, he's a well-known name in these parts and awesome. obviously knows about Lincoln Kennedy, college football Hall of Famer and all that stuff. So, let's get the, uh, let's get the, the just the awful news out of the way first. You know, I'm not, we know what happened yeah. with the traffic accident and all that, and I'm not going to ask you how does it affect the team because of loss of life. And shattered lives on the other ones who've lived. I don't know how they're yeah. going to get into the legal system. We'll, we'll take care of that and all. Nevertheless, a game has to be played. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in any maybe uh, a similar situation. Hopefully not. But you... No, no, nothing of this magnitude where life was taken. I've, I've been on teams where you know, teammates um, didn't make or did, you know, had passed away. Um, and you know what's real? What's so hard is because with 
the NFL's COVID protocols, we don't have as much access to the locker room or to the team in general. So it's hard to gauge how it might affect them. Well, what I can say this, what I do know this, is that there were several players, including head coach and a quarterback, Derek Carr, um, who really liked Henry Ruggs. And, you know, when this tragedy came across the wire and they found out, and then they found out that the prosecutors amount of charges, they had no choice but to release him. Now, you know, there's, it's, it's a tragedy on both sides. The first of the family, the victims of the family, obviously losing a loved one. And then for Henry Ruggs, his life has forever changed as a 22-year-old. Right. But with that being said, you know, much like other situations, guys just want to go out and do what they want to do or do what, do how, what they know how to do. For example, coaches coach players play. So it's coming to one of those instances another time for this season, as the team has already been through so much, um, that they have to travel back to New York. Uh, play a team, the Giants, they should beat. They're a better team. I think it's, it's fair to say everyone can make that assessment there. They look like a better team, but it's not going to be easy. And we also know, as history has showed, in the second half of the season for the Raiders, especially in the past couple of years, coming off the bye, extremely slow starts, hasn't always worked out well. And I think the last three meetings of the Giants, they didn't beat them. So this would be a one way they could try to right the ship or just try to get things back to some sense of normalcy as they push forward. Well, if for no other reason that to to be able to go out and be focused, the Chiefs, which you called, and you've been consistent about saying this, so I need to give you some acknowledgement there because you thought the Chiefs were going to come back to the pack and suffer that Super Bowl hangover. I think you spoke from experience in that mm-hmm. situation, and that's exactly what we've seen. So for no other reason, uh, at least in the last few years, this is the Raiders' best chance to make the postseason. Well, I, I will agree with you there, but I, I think that what, what cannot happen and what we have to be leery of, especially in our position, is that to speak on looking forward or looking past the team. Yes, you still have two games against the Chiefs, you have another game against the Broncos, and I actually think ultimately the, the last game of the season, the regular season, will be deciding division when you go up against the Chargers. But with that being said, there's still a lot of football to be played, and the Chiefs still have potentially a lot of weapons that can you know make things a little bit difficult for the Raiders. You know, I'm more interested and focused on to see if they, you know, the last two games against the Broncos and the Eagles, the Raiders have been able to start somewhat faster, whereas the previous five games before that, they notoriously started slow. And then, they, like I said a moment ago, they have a habit, especially coming after the bye, of starting off slower, just not playing well. And I, I kind of want to write that ship the second half of the season. Uh, with, um, you know, with 10 games to go, they still have a lot of football they have to play, and they're going to be against some pretty good teams, but they could ill afford to look past anyone and take anyone for granted. Lincoln, uh, Kansas City Chiefs came up there. I, I, I actually, I have Pat Mahomes on my fantasy team this okay. year. All right. Uh, been a little bit of a rocky year, not exactly what I expected, but I've seen this phenomenon happen in the NFL, you know, over and over again. Um, if you go back through and think about explosive offenses that kind of get ahead of defenses, and then everybody kind of uh, adjusts to what they're doing. What is it the teams are doing from a football perspective, knowing that I'm a basketball guy and I get most of my football education from Madden? Uh, what, is, what is it the, that the rest of the league's doing to kind of neutralize you know, such a potent offense in Kansas City? Well, 
if you watch that Monday night game against New York, uh, I think the announcers made comments of it because it's it's been something that's been going on for quite some time. The focus on the offense is so much around Travis Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill. They run combination routes with those those guys that if you bracket or take two of those or, or double cover uh, both of those guys, a lot of times the other guys aren't running routes if it's not meant for them because they know what tendencies are shown. Patrick Mahomes wants to go to those two guys. Without that, and the, I mean, with that and without the possibility of having a consistent run game and having issues with the offensive line, I mean, it's just the fact the rest of the league gets kind of caught up. You know, other than, you know, that sort of uh, um, dream that happened a couple years back where the New England Patriots were always winning, this division is extremely competitive. Uh, So it's going to challenge the Chiefs there. Plus the fact they've got a big old target on their chest. Everybody knows who they are. You're going to to have challenges there. So with the the, the fact that they're a little long in the tooth in defense, not consistently getting off the field, and all those other things they're talking about, they've they've had some trouble. And Patrick Mahomes has turned over the ball more times in this uh, point of his career than any other time. So there's a lot of things that have added up that have worked against the Chiefs. I don't know how the NFL does it, Lincoln, but they always seem to have these outrageous storylines through the course of the season, and things pop up week to week. And so this week we have Rodgers, then we have uh, Odell Beckham's father putting stuff out there, and that that sort of gets in the way. Now, uh, Rodgers isn't going to be able to play. Our Jordan Love kid from Utah State yeah. is going to get the opportunity, and we're all excited to see what he does. But how does whatever it might be, not necessarily specifics, but generally speaking, how does all this drama play with teams as guys are trying to go about being professionals to prepare for the games each week? Well, there's preferential treatment. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's no surprise. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is, it probably deserves to be treated better than most of the quarterbacks in the league for what he's done. But there's preferential treatment. And when you talk about Odell Beckham Jr., you know, you're talking about a guy that the Giants wanted to get rid of a long time ago. They did because they felt there was going to be a future headache. Now, if you follow his career, there's to the point where, yes, he's a talented player, but you really got to be very careful if you want to bring that in your locker room because that can be a noticeable distraction. So this is where you talk about the character clauses or things that are coming out, uh, you know, with people. It's hard. It really is because if you think about it, if you're the Browns, I mean, we already know what the, the Packers have to do. They have no choice, but they have to play Jordan Love because they, they only have basically one quarterback. But if you're, if you're the Cleveland Browns, you're trying to make amends for everything that's going on. Your quarterback is hurt. You have to decide on him if you're going to make him, uh, you know, give him an extension contract, if this is the right team that you can lead. The defense has come a long way, and they've been able to play well with the running game, but they haven't been able to put wins together because they're playing with a hurt quarterback and they don't have a backup plan. The last thing they need is a distraction from a flamboyant wide receiver that says, I'm not getting the ball enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but at the same point, there's a lot of money that's going into OBJ, and after the fact that they They've already played their third game. He's probably got some clauses in the contract. Unless it's detrimental to the team, he's going to get a, a gist of his money this season. So then becomes a business move, and what do you do? Um, but it looks like the, the Cleveland Browns are deciding to walk away from it, take a loss, and now they're going to try to find something to do with them because I think, if I'm not mistaken, according to the CBA, if the, if the, um, if the, 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 the Browns were to cut him at this particular point, they would still have to play out the remainder of this year's salary. Right. That's a lot of cash. Uh, let's shift to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about your thoughts on the uh, the initial rankings for the bowls uh, for the playoff playoffs. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a bunch of BS to me. It's about as, <laughs> as, as much as I emphasize preseason polls in college football. I, it, it doesn't care. Another thing you have to think about, or I've, we've talked about many times on the show, is that this is, this is college football's big money grab. You know, they're going, to, they're going to shun teams like Cincinnati because Cincinnati doesn't have the drawing power that, say, uh, a Notre Dame or an Alabama or some of these other big names do. So, you know, they're going to, they're going to shun them. And they, even they're going to make it harder for Cincinnati. And that's why I think uh, the time has come for them to expand it to at least 12 teams. I mean, that's a, that's a little bit more than I wanted, but at least eight teams. And then it looks like they're going to go to 12 teams. It's just long overdue. If they're going to do it, do it right. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. You're, you're telling me they... They leave one team out over another because the other team has yeah. It's a, it's a television show, more, Lincoln. More money. It's a, it's a television show. <laughs> That's a, such a surprise. I yeah. I coached college basketball for twenty years, and all I ever heard was they were trying to make it equitable. Yeah, you. I mean, that's a good story of the feed, but you already you already see how the the trend has paid all played paid out played out the last what five six years, where you have pretty much the same teams involved in a college football playoff system, right? Unless something happens like Clemson drops a couple of games, but she's, all of a sudden you're elevating someone else. You know, um, Alabama's still there with one loss, but you got two teams that are undefeated that aren't even a top four. Right. How does that make sense to you? And I'll get you know, to wonder to, if... Just to Oklahoma and Cincinnati, it's not fair. I mean, especially when you're putting such an emphasis on unblemished schedules or unblemished results. Yeah. yeah, and Oregon in there with a loss to Stanford at four... Um, I, I wonder if Nike maybe made a, a contribution. <laughs> I'm sure they probably had. But, I mean, you know, when, tell me thing, that stuff when, doesn't go on, right? Well, we, <laughs> well, when you talk about a lot of the pundits like myself, when they sit there and look at the ranking, Oregon, even at number four, still has a less percentage chance of making the college football playoff than several of those other teams that are around them, including Oklahoma. Unbelievable. Okay, Lincoln Kennedy joining us here on The Zone. If, if it's not... Oregon and Utah in the title game in Vegas at your stadium where you work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm never, ever going to predict a Pac-12 game again in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to be at this point, doesn't it? Well, you know what? I, I, until until um, Oregon State lost to Cal last week, I was thinking Oregon State might be in it, but... You know, still going for that showdown. I, I, um, Cal did a great job at nullifying Oregon State's run game and stuff like that. I, I think it's going to be Oregon, Utah. It should be. I definitely think the Utes have earned the spot to win the South. And I don't put much emphasis into your alma mater in Arizona State, as I said, just inconsistent no. and, and undisciplined, something that you just don't see out of a Herm Edwards team. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's, uh, I think it's Utah and Oregon. So Herm Edwards wrote a letter to the team leaders during the bye week. I'm hoping this week he wrote a letter to the president of the university submitting his resignation. Wow. I didn't hear anything about the letter to the the, the players. Yeah, he wrote a letter to the players during the bye week to get them ready because they were coming off the bad performance against Utah, Mm -hmm. and now's the time. And then they go out and commit three turnovers on their first three possessions. And then they have a a field goal where the guy runs off, uh, he jumps off sides, and they back it up and they miss. It's a field goal unit. Where the hell are you going? Just stand there. (laughs) Come on. Hey, hey, hold on. I'm on to something here. You went to Arizona State, right? Yeah. no, no, I deny it. So, Lincoln just used undisciplined. Yeah. And uh, 
and I looked over at you and I thought maybe that's a trait. No, it's not. I come from the Fra- I come from the Frank's Cush school of Arizona I mean, State really football. Ta- really talented, but undisciplined. No, no. I, I come from I, Frank Cush. Right Lincoln knows I, all about Frank Cush. I do. Right. I do. <laughs> hey, Lincoln. I, so people to me, people. We were talking about this earlier, but people to me are the secret sauce. Okay. Um, name one of your favorite teammates in the history of your playing career? Somebody that you just absolutely connected with and they made a difference in your life? Um, his name was Mo Collins. He was a first-round draft choice out of Florida. He came into the league with the Raiders um, and he played tackle and then eventually moved to guard, right guard, right next to me. And we, you know, for the years of remaining, uh, since he moved over and, and, and then we were closest of friends, like brothers. Um, I lost him a couple years ago um, and I'll never forget that day on October 26th. Um, and, you know, it, his family and I are still close, um, his kids, and watching them grow up. But he was one of those guys that just I just connected with. We were two like minds, and we got along so well that it really showed on the football field, especially with us playing with each other. And that's one of the reasons why I had so much success in the latter part of my career with the Raiders. It's always interesting, you know, like this this tragedy that happened this week, you talk about it, and, and people forget you know, athletes are human beings. Yeah. And, you know, they think that they just because the people when they want athletes, they they flip the television on, they watch them play, and then they turn it off and they forget about them. And, right. Uh, you know, my I have been so, you know, just it, it's a it's a tough one with, and you think about it from both sides. But a young guy like that who makes a bad decision, you know, a bad decision, and it costs so much. But yeah, people people are are definitely the the big thing in sport and it, it one of the reasons i've really admired you from a distance so thanks for all you do it's uh it's great to talk with you well thank you i think you know just to add a little bit on to it i think what we forget and and i was definitely there but i never did anything you know this stupid um is we think we're invincible or Absolutely. that it won't happen to you um, I remember when I came out of college, I read every book by every athlete that I could think of from Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, everyone else talking about, you know, how to take care of your money and stuff like that and, and don't, you know, don't do stupid things with your money. And I still lost money. I still got swindled <laughs> by managers and stuff like that. I didn't think it could happen to me. It took me years to recoup and get that back. But, you know, one of the things I remember growing up, and I think we're all around kind of the same age, is the fact that, you know, we were, we were told those lessons a long time ago, don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Find another way. And I was one of those teammates that I didn't even start drinking alcohol until long after retired. But I was one of those teammates that, like uh, Derek Carr said, he extended the the friendship. You look, text me, call me. I'll come and get you. I'll send somebody for you. I was one of those guys. I did it countless times with my teammates back in the day because I didn't want a tragedy like this to happen. I just wish that Henry Ruggs would have used better judgment all in all. Um, uh, that night it was, uh, and I remember being invited to the to the to the event. Uh, I know that they sent out an invitation because they wanted players, former players, and current players there at Top Golf in Vegas. So I, I, I just wish somebody who was around him would have thought, you know, a lot more um, with a little bit more discipline for him, and maybe pulled the keys out of his hands. Maybe we could have prevented this. Well said, Lincoln. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. You guys be well. Talk to you soon. There's Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst and Pac-12 network analyst. When we come back, the best of the Jazz post-game show. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a battle against Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia, the Cougars finally get a week off from Power 5 opponents as they welcome in Idaho State to Provo. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz get the win over Atlanta. They got the best record in the NBA. The Jazz are now 7-1. and one. Best mark in the NBA headed into Miami and Orlando Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to see the Hawks here in Utah on Tuesday. So right, uh, right back at it with the Hawks soon enough. Uh, the Jazz get a huge game from Jordan Clarkson. He goes for 30. Here is the best of the Jazz postgame show. True Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz start out their three-game road trip with a win. They beat the Hawks 116-98. to 98. Uh, Jake Scott with you this morning. Of course, uh, the Jazz. Uh, it was a little bit of a slog it out game. Tough first half, but Jordan Clarkson, boy, did he break out of his shooting slump. He had 30 points, 25 of which came in the second half. And the Jazz outscored the Hawks in the fourth quarter, 41-24 to 24, to turn it up and win that one going away. They got uh, The Jazz got 20 Three from Bogdanovich, 13 and 11 assists from Mike Conley. Joe Ingles had 19 stepping into the starting lineup for an injured Donovan Mitchell. Let's get to some uh, post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Well, I think this is one of those games where the, the bad things were, were, were actually the good things in that, you know, we felt like we were getting pretty good looks and we weren't making them. And that that's when I think, you know, being mentally tough and continuing um, adjusting a little bit, you know, to when you have an opportunity to get in the lane, um, but continuing to try to play with the pass and take good shots. Um, I thought our defense, you know, our defense was really solid, um, which, which allowed us to be in a position where, you know, when our offense kicked in, you know, we were, we were right there. So the, the difference is this team that, you know, guys figured stuff out um, and they figured it out on the court. There was a couple of plays that really demonstrated that, you know, side out play where Boyan and Royce were connected and they were preparing probably to foul Rudy at that point. We get a quick layup. Um, you could see it in dead ball situations when you know, we were huddled to make sure everybody's knowing what we're doing. You know, that doesn't have to be every possession, but, you know, I, I think we were connected group up 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 here, and uh, you know that guys feed off each other in that way. In that way, there are coaches who take players out when they're having a match tonight. You've never been one of those coaches. Why not? Well, I've taken a couple guys out, but not, not Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I believe in him. You know, I mean, I think that's part of you know when someone believes in you. You know, you, you, the, the moments where you may have some doubt, you, you, you don't. And, you know, I thought in the first half, I think he was over five from three. He got one late clock with like two seconds on the shot clock to, you know, call it over four and thought they were good looks. So um, that's who he is. And, you know, the thing that 
you know, and this, there's a couple of sequences in the Milwaukee game where he just threw himself into other parts of the game. And I think that's the most important thing. Like if, if somebody's not making shots and they're, you know, going inward and feeling sorry for themselves, you can be frustrated, but when it impacts other parts of your game, you know, that's different. And, you know, there's a, there's a confidence that he has in himself and he and I have a little bit of a connection in that regard. I've never seen that confidence waiver at all. You'd have to ask him. Um, it, you know, I, I think, I think he, he's, you know, he adjusts during the game. You, you saw him, you know, he was making shots, but he also got in the lane and, and, and credit, you know, credit our bigs. You know, when, when we started to really space, and, you know, be flatter on the floor on the baseline. Uh, that created more more space for Jordan in, in the lane. But, um, you know, obviously he believes in himself. It, there was a timeout where, you know, I think part of it is can focus on Jordan, but, you know, Boyan, Royce, everybody, like we just talked about having, they're not, you know, it's not Jordan's shots. It's not Boyan's shots. It's not Royce's shots. It's our, our shots. And when you approach it that way, and, you know, you throw yourself into the group. I think it takes pressure off those shots. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Uh, his team wins 116-98, to talking about uh, Jordan Clarkson having faith, believing in Jordan Clarkson. Talked a little bit about their connection. Um, we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit later on when we hear from Jordan Clarkson himself. He talked a little bit about that, too. But uh, right now, let's hear from uh, Joe Ingles. Did you guys say anything internally specifically at halftime or was it? Just more schematic, just kind of sticking into you know, just the scheme and trying to, trying to go out and execute. Yeah, um, nothing too specific. I, I think defensively we were solid. I think we, we missed a lot of shots that we would normally make. Um, I think we were getting pretty good looks. Um, obviously, again, like Mike, the first time playing without Donovan for the first time, you're fig- trying to figure it out as, as on the fly a little bit. Um, which you've been able to obviously do in the past, but again, it's a new year and, and you, you're still figuring things out. So, um, yeah, it was kind of ugly, I guess, in, in that first half, but we knew if we stuck with what we wanted to do, we were getting the shots we wanted to take. Um, obviously, JC getting hot in the second half, really, um, has helped, or it did help tonight um, with, the, with the last couple of games. And, um, yeah, I just think we, we kind of stuck with what we did. I think defensively, we were really good. Rudy was... Huge figuring out where his pickup point was and getting that deflection on the lob a few times, and we're able to get out and run and, and make the right play in transition. Yeah. What's it like that? I think at the other end, even for probably JC, it's like you, you feel more like you're letting your team down than yourself, like in terms of being mad or worried about your own game. Um, obviously, with, with JC, we know how aggressive he is coming off the bench and we expect him to do that every night. And for nine out of 10 or 99 out of a hundred, probably he's going to be really, really good at that. Um, so to have a couple of games like that, I don't know if he's had a stretch like that since he's been with us really in two or three games like that. So um, I think as a, as a team, you are trying to figure out ways to make it easier for him um, and not wanting him to overthink it or, feel like he's letting us down or, or anything like that. And um, 
I mean, even the last couple of games, like the shots that were missing were like rim, r- rattling in and out and, and it was shots he normally makes. So um, I think for him, it was more the frustration of, of letting the team down kind of so to not that we thought he was letting us down, but he, from his perspective and, and obviously we knew at some point it was going to change. He's not going to shoot that percentages or whatever for, for the rest of the year. So um, yeah, happy he was able to be aggressive. And then I, th- I think the, the best part about it was that end of the third and the fourth, like making the right play. And, and he hit bogey a couple of times on, on that transition. And um, I don't know what he ended up. He still had 30 some points or whatever. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a good game for him. And um, hopefully he never has a slump like that again, because <laughs> it makes it a lot harder. You were pretty aggressive at the first time yourself. Is that, you know, because Donovan's not there. And I didn't think about it like that. I think obviously it's, again, it's different when Mike was out starting with Donovan for me and then Donovan's out starting with Mike and um, just trying to figure it out. Um, obviously, I know when someone's out, I'm going to start. It just depends who the one through four is that potentially um, would be out. Um, I think I got some pretty open and kind of good looks early um, and was able to make them and rest of the game makes it a bit easier once you do see it going a couple of times. Um, but yeah, there was no kind of, I guess, thought process of that. It was just, again, playing the way, playing the right way, playing the way we want to play. Um, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's someone else. Second half was JC, Boyan. Um, Trent was huge off the bench with, with the point guard minutes that, that he played. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good all-round game for us to, to close out in the end. I'm not going to say anything about the ball if that's what you want. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think the, the clear and obvious thing for me is I'm going to take the shot, good shots that, that, that are within our, our team and our system and as boring and however many million times I've given you guys that answer. Um, that, that's just how I'm going to play. And um, I think for me, when I'm taking the shots I want to take that, that our team wants me to take, um, I feel pretty confident I'm going to make most of them. Um, so yeah, just, just playing within the system. And um, I mean, there's always times when you feel like you're hot and you take a bit of a heat check somewhere in the year, but for, for majority of the time, just, just playing within how we want to play. And, and again, some nights when some guys are out, there's more shots, more minutes, um, more time handling the ball, whatever that situation is. And obviously tonight with Donovan, there was kind of a, a bit of all that really. So um, everybody had to step up and um, get ready for the next one. There's Joe Ingles, stepped into the starting lineup, had a nice night, 19 points, 7 of 9 shooting from Joe, 5 of 6 from 3, had 4 rebounds uh, to go along with 3 assists. Let's now hear from Trent Forrest. Focus, uh, just offensively, uh, what, what were some of the things that, that you, were, you were trying to do? Uh, He's a good player, so I mean, just try to use my length, kind of my size to bother him a little bit. Um, I mean, it helps a lot when you have Rudy and Hassan back there. So, I mean, if I can force them to the rim, I feel like I kind of got the advantage. So that was really kind of my mindset was just kind of using my size and using Rudy and Hassan on the backside. After finding out, like, the role you're going to play tonight, how did you kind of go about preparing? Um, honestly, the same way I always do. Um, I mean, I just – every day kind of take the same approach. It's just always being ready. So, I mean, I really didn't do anything different. I mean, I, I was able to 
I mean, study and look through the game plan, what we did this morning with walkthrough. So um, I really wouldn't say I did anything different, but just kind of what I do every day. <laughs> It's a little bit of a different second unit than you played with last year, right? There's Eric. Yeah. Uh, what's the biggest difference? I would say it's still taking us like a little time to kind of learn each other, I feel like. Um, but it's easy in some sense because we're all kind of smart players. And, I mean, we can able to figure out a lot of stuff kind of on the go. Um, and that's kind of what Qu Quinn was talking to us about in the back is just we were able to figure some things out, like, in the floor of the game. So um, that was, I would say, is probably the biggest difference. Defensively, those two guys also kind of being able to guard their own. Game. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, what do you take from Eric on some of the switches he scored? Yeah, no, nah, Eric is a great defender. Um, he's... I mean, can guard basically one through five. And he's also another strong, big body guy that can move his feet. So having him out there, I mean, it, it helps a lot. I'm playing with Jordan Clarkson, like, they got this, like, what is Yeah, no, nah, it's crazy. Um, I mean, you see him in practice every day shooting. I mean, then you get into games and just some of the stuff he, he does is just crazy. So he makes a lot of my job easy because I can just pass it and kind of just watch. So it, it's good for me. <laughs> With a guy like Jordan, where he's been full for two games now, how nice is it to see that? No, it feels good. Um, I mean, everybody on our team kept telling him to shoot, kept playing his game um, and the I mean, he was getting all the looks he's always getting right at the rim. It rims out, open threes. Um, so it was just a matter of time before he kind of got out of it. But everybody was happy for him. There's Trent Forrest. He got 19 minutes. Kind of got some of those those ball handling minutes with uh, Donovan Mitchell not in the lineup. Uh, he was scoreless in 19 minutes, although he did have a rebound and an assist. Let's hear from the man of the hour now. Here is Jordan Clarkson. What was the exact Exact uh, when I missed uh, the last 23 shots, probably threes or whatever it was, I mean, in my mind, I just, I just <clears throat> tried to just keep, continue to be myself and my teammates all the way down the line, coaches, owner, management, everybody just coming up to me, JC, keep shooting, keep shooting. It's going to happen. And then Don, before the game, just coming over to me, telling me, like, bro, it's going to happen. Like, And then we start hitting, it's just going to keep falling. So, uh, hats off to, like, you know, that's why I love this team. I love my teammates, love the coaching staff, love this organization because they all believe in me and uh, believe what I can do. And uh, it's just beautiful. That's why you want to go out there and win a bunch of games and play hard and compete for each other. So, um, I'm very thankful for that. There was a point, I think it was like in the first quarter, in the left quarter, you were over for three, and you hesitated. Like, throw me a little bit, I think it went to a turnover. Mm -hmm. It seemed a little uncharacteristic. Right. Were you kind of a little bit in your head for a minute there? I heard a couple messages. Uh, not necessarily. I think I kind of just, you know, keep pushing. You know, big thing for me was, if I'm not doing this, I need to play defense. And that's been a key to everything that we've like harped on since we got here uh, in Vegas during training camp. Uh, when we came back from the summertime, all of it's been focused on defense. We know we can score the ball. We know we can make shots. But our main focus has been, you know, kind of guarding our yards, keeping our guys in front of us, containing it defensively. So uh, literally 
all that stuff kind of just just flowed out my head and you know I just keep competing and uh trying to continue to get wins you know that's what it's all about I'm not really worried about numbers I think I told y'all even last I mean the beginning of the year like none of that stuff like even matters to me all it's about is winning and uh taking this next step as you know a team organization and uh you know trying to win the championship You've seen the replay of your Lakers your whole Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard him the whole time. He was literally talking to him. He was like, "Oh, oh, yeah, this is it right here. Yeah, you got him." And then, and then seeing him do it, he he knows why. You know, he knows what I'm getting to uh, when I see somebody in the corner like that, and uh, he knows what move I'm gonna go to. So, uh, that that's pretty dope, though. You know, that's an all star. You know. He's 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 a guy. Him having that, I'm having that support from him is just is great and it's amazing. So you kind of give him a hug after I kind of give it everyone. Right, right. Why was that? Like, uh, I mean, just everybody, just like it's just like a, a great feeling, just from everybody uh, knowing, you know, that I'll you know work hard in the summertime, you know, put all this time in, and you know, when people struggling that that like can be frustrating, but uh, like I told them, and like they have told me just keep being yourself you know they trust me they trust the work I trust my work uh, and like I said all I was trying to do is you know bring energy I'm not making shots play defense and just try to help us win and that's the main goal for me uh, I don't know man it's moon stars I don't know some you know <laughs> some lined up where you know, we are very connected mentally and, you know, sometimes he don't even have to uh, say anything to me. He kind of gives me a look and I kind of already know what he's saying. And, um, but, you know, I trust him more than anything. I trust him, you know, game plans, whatever he says is like, trumps everything in the world. So when he's telling you to, you know, keep going, keep shooting, and he's telling that to everybody down the line, and he's uh, putting that trust in each one of us. You know, he's uh, a great person and a great coach, and he, he wants to win and, uh, you know, trying to get it done. There's Jordan Clarkson. What a night from him. 30 points, 10 of 19 shooting, 4 of 10 from 3, 6 of 7 from the line. You heard him talk about uh, the, his connection with Quinn Snyder and how much uh, it, it meant to him that the organization, teammates, and coaching staff uh, really believed in him and told him to keep it up, keep shooting uh, when he was struggling. And boy, did he have a nice night last night against the Hawks. 116 to 98, final Jazz win. Up next, Jazz take on the Miami Heat in Miami coming up tomorrow night. Tip off for that game will be at 5 30. Pre-game coverage begins at 4 30. There's the best of the Jazz post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Ray, high off 
the glass, and Clint Capella jams it home. Trey did that on purpose. He put it off the glass so Clint could grab it. DeAndre on the fly underneath. Johnny Collins jams it home. Beautiful pass from DeAndre Hunter. Lou Williams gets it stripped by Conley, picked up by Clarkson. Out to Conley, behind for Clarkson, jams it. Ingles fires the three when Gallinari drops his hands and buries it. Don't drop your hands on me. I will take my left-handed Australian weapon and I will spear three. Highlights as the Jazz take down the Atlanta Hawks, 116-98. to 98. No Donovan Mitchell, no problem. Could have been a problem. Tight game going to the fourth quarter. It was going back and forth there in the third. Jazz were down five or six, and they're up four or five. It was going back and forth. But the start of the fourth quarter, all Jazz all the time. Magic Johnson used to call it winning time. The Jazz got good in winning time, a 41-point quarter. Really only had one bad defensive quarter. They gave up 34 there in the third. But they hold Atlanta under 100 points. They're 4-0 when they hold opponents under 100 points. The way, the way you score in the NBA these days, there are very few winners when you don't get to 100 points. Hero of the game? Well, obviously, Jordan Clarkson. He hadn't made a shot in forever. Just trying to avoid the numbers. He hadn't made a shot in a long time, and suddenly he made a lot of shots. Clarkson was hitting everything in the second half. Seemed like there was everything was destined to go in for him. He ends up with a Donovan Mitchell-like 30 points. So Donovan could sit over there in street clothes and... Smile and laugh because everything is funny when you beat a nice team, beat a good team on the road by 18 points, which is what the Jazz did. We'll get to more on this coming up. Got the question of the day for you on the Jazz. Got David Locke joining us at 8.30. Jazz beat the Hawks. Now they head off to Florida for a back-to-back this weekend. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Niang on a transition for three. It's up and good. He's made it. He's got four in a row. The Sixers with a D and a trail tray by George Niang. Shea a long three straight away from 35 to take it under money ball. Gildas Alexander from just inside the Laker logo. Bombs and connects. 101-95. Thunder Shea's got 28. Porter into the lane area. Loses the ball. Ball picks it up. On the break is Booker. Lob it up Prince. Whammo time. Mikel Bridges on the alley-oop pass from Booker. I wasn't aware of the situation, and my seven years I've been here, you know, I haven't noticed that, but that doesn't, you know, make me insensitive to the subject. And, you know, I think the NBA open investigation, they're going to do their due diligence of, you know, bringing out facts instead of he said, she said, and, you know, I'm sure the NBA has it in good hands and do the proper research to, you know, find out the truth. Seven Booker talking about what's going on in Phoenix. Now, they won the game, but they beat the Houston Rockets. So, I think we knew they were going to win the game when we looked at the schedule. 123-111, Booker had 27 in the blowout win for the Phoenix Suns. The big story, and this would be the big story regardless of who they were playing and whether they're winning or losing, Suns owner Robert Sarver under investigation by the NBA after allegations of misogyny and racism during his 17 years of ownership. Sarver has issued a series of firm denials in the statements and comments through his attorneys. The NBA has directed a law firm to begin a comprehensive investigation, which would provide the basis for any action from the league against Sarver. So it sounds a little bit like a Washington football team situation here. And we'll see where this goes. Light night in the NBA. In addition to the Jazz and the Suns winning, the Boston Celtics beat the Miami Heat 95-78. 
That is interesting for a couple reasons. One, the Celtics were off to a terrible start, and they had one player complaining about two other players, and all the players were in the starting lineup. So that was that was kind of dramatic. And it's not that guys went off. Maybe they got big production out of the bench more than anything. Uh, Tatum only had 10 points in the win. Jalen Brown only had 17. But Miami could not score the basketball. Jimmy Butler had a 20-point game, although he's 0 for 4 from 3. In the Heat, a miserable 78 points, a 9-point second quarter. They got outscored by Boston 33-9. to As runs go, that is massive. So Boston beats Miami. Boston now 4-5 and after a 2-5 start. Miami, that's only their second loss. They're 6-2. Everybody in the East has two losses right now. Miami's right there at the top. Jazz have to play the Heat, and it's back-to-back. What's going on with the Heat? Why did they shoot less than 35% in the game? Uh, that is that going to keep happening? Duncan Robinson, 5 of 17. Yikes. Now the Jazz, you got to figure they're going to be shorthanded. They're going back-to-back. Well, is this the game Conley will sit? And then they play him in Orlando and make sure they get the win everybody's supposed to get when you play Orlando. And if you lose to Miami, so be it in a back-to-back. And how long is Donovan Mitchell out for? None of that clear. Personally, I would not be surprised to see both Conley and Mitchell out for that game. Not that that renders the Jazz completely helpless. They went through that at the end of last season, and they won some games there. But uh, back-to-back in Miami-Orlando. But Miami coming off a, uh, a brutal performance. That's their first home loss as they fall to 6-2 and two on the year. And then also in those highlights, you're George Niang. It's just kind of fun to watch the Sixer box score and see what is going on with Niang. Basically, he's who he is in Utah, but he's getting more playing time. He got 32 minutes. That's He's not a starter. He's coming off the bench. But 32 minutes, you're a full-time player. Doesn't, doesn't matter when you're playing. If you're getting 32 minutes, you are a full-time player. He didn't shoot it all that well. 4 of 11 from the floor. 3 of 10, so he got a two-pointer in there. But he's 3 of 10 from 3, but 14 points, 7 rebounds, and they were plus 18 when he was on the floor. That was the Pistons, and they're terrible. They are 1 in 7 after that loss. But the Sixers battling for the top spot in the East again. Miami told you they were 6 and 2. Sixers are 7 and 2, so they're off to a very nice start. Niang's got a big role, and things seem to be going well for him in Philly. And saving the best for last, somebody buried the lead. But see, that's just because I know how you folks are. You're classy. You're not here to enjoy other people's troubles, other people's struggles. Especially if a guy is injured, you would never do that. Just because it's the Lakers. You hate the freaking Lakers, to quote David Locke. And they lost to the Thunder, who are not the worst team in the West. But they would be if they hadn't beaten the Lakers twice because they haven't beaten anybody else. The Thunder are 2-6 with two wins over the Lakers. Lose those games, they're 0-8, and they'd be the only winless team in basketball. And the Pistons, Rockets, and Pelicans all have a win. And Rockets beat the Thunder for their only win. But for whatever reason, the Thunder have the Lakers number. They get them 107-104. No LeBron. Abdominal strain. And just to go big picture on this, because any one game, crazy things happen, but to go big picture, what are the Lakers without LeBron? LeBron is getting older. It's father time going to beat him. And one of the first things to look for when you're older is you get hurt more easily, and it takes longer to bounce back. LeBron did not sit for a lot of abdominal strains in his prime. Now, if you got it, you got it, and there's nothing you can do about it. You got to sit. 
It's not going to get better. You can make it worse. You're not going to be very good while you're out there. You have an abdominal strain and you try to run and jump and twist and defend. Yeah, not happening. There's no choice here for LeBron. But to sit. And they have won five of their last seven games. So it's not like they're horrible, but they lost to the Thunder. And that is a little hilarious. That's hilarious until it happens to your team. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Here's a handoff left side to Taylor. He's going to cut out left side. He's at the 10, looking for the 5, looking for the pylon. He's in. Jonathan Taylor, touchdown. Takes a shotgun snap, backs to throw. He's got time. Throws into the end zone, and that is dropped. Oh, Michael oh. Pittman Jr. could not complete the catch in the back of the end zone. The lights and the whistles here at Lucas Oil Stadium are going off. Wentz turns the hands off to Jonathan Taylor. Big hole. There he goes. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5. Touchdown, Jonathan Taylor. 78 yards to the house. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y-J-T. 41 to 10, and the onslaught continues. Jets rallied late, make it a little more respectable, but the Colts roll. 45 to 30. Indy improves to 4 and 5, which with the new playoff format makes them a contender for a playoff spot. Not a contender for a championship, not a contender for a Super Bowl, but it does make them a contender for one of those seven playoff bursts, even though they're 4 and 5. Jonathan Taylor, here's the 78 yard touchdown run there. He ran for 172 yards, which is an enormous number for the Jets. Mike White is off to a nice start. He goes out. Josh Johnson comes in. He has a big game. They throw for 398 yards. So a little bit of pressure here on the rookie, the local guy. When he is back, got to move the team, got to throw the ball, got to rack up the yards because it turns out literally everybody else is. I mean, what do you know about Josh Johnson? Now, maybe you were watching the game, so you got a little background on him. But... 35-year-old dude from the University of San Diego comes in and throws for 300 yards. If you're Zach Wilson, you're going to have to move the Jets when you get back. And some of that was garbage time. I get it. You got to do a little something. Jets fall to 2-6. and six. Browns have been working with Odell Beckham Jr.'s representatives to negotiate an agreement on terms under which they can release the wide receiver. Browns obviously want to convert his base salary into a signing bonus, lower his cap number. It doesn't sound like him leaving is the issue. Sounds like what kind of money is he getting and how is he going to count against the salary cap? That's the only thing left. He's still not 30 years old. He's actually turning 29 today. Possible landing spots. Who does he make better? Does he go to somebody who's just, quote, just a playoff contender and try to get them to the playoffs? There are plenty of teams sitting on three or four wins right now that think they have a shot who could use him. Or does he go to somebody who's good to try to put him over the top and win it all and really show up the Browns? Where does he go? And who's got a strong enough locker room and strong enough leadership to put up with all that drama? Because he will bring drama. And if he doesn't, his family will. All right, big games this weekend. What are you looking forward to? Obviously, the big game was Packers-Chiefs. That was a huge game, a marquee game. It's still an interesting game, but drop it down a notch now with no Aaron Rodgers. I suppose drop it down a a notch nationally because Aaron Rodgers is such a big star. But certainly locally, and I think to a degree nationally, how good is Jordan Love? This is his 
first game, he's had a lot of time in the system. He's watched a lot of film. He's heard a lot of things, but he hasn't had to do it himself. And let's face it, the Chiefs' defense has ranged between average and horrific. That's the neighborhood they've been bouncing around. They have had games they could not stop anybody. So as far as you know, just one game, and we don't know how long Rodgers is out for, but if it's just one game and how does your debut go, and if you have a long career, you'll have plenty of ups and downs. But just for that first performance, first impressions matter. Chiefs defense, not bad for, uh, for someone to be going against. All right, talking about teams that are just kind of playoff contenders, the Broncos have beaten enough truly horrific teams that they have managed to maintain a 500-ish record, although they're playing the Cowboys, so look pretty good. And I don't think that game's going to – I think that game's on early on Fox, sorry. I think that game's on early on Fox for you uh, for you Bronco fans. Uh, other games that are intriguing, uh, the Cardinals – Tied for the best record in the NFL, playing the 49ers, a 500-ish playoff contender-ish team of their own. The Rams playing the Titans. The Titans now without the NFL's best running back with Derrick Henry out. Rams and Cardinals are one-loss teams. Can they keep it going along with the, uh, the Cowboys and the Packers? Games to watch right there. Uh, games between kind of sort of okay teams, Browns and Bengals. Whoever wins has a good enough record. They feel pretty good about themselves. They presumably keep pace with the division-leading Ravens, who are 5-2. and two. Bengals are 5-3. and three. If they can beat the Browns, they go 6-3. If the Browns win, both teams are 5-4 and four and kind of hanging around in the wild card race. So those are some of the games. Titans-Rams is a Sunday night football game on NBC. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah. The Utes are in Palo Alto tonight, Friday night football. Stanford hosting the Utes. Now, Stanford with a huge question mark. Is their quarterback going to play? Now, it's always a big deal when the starting quarterback is or isn't going to play. Tanner McKee, who comes in as highly recruited, return missionary off in Brazil for a couple years. But now something's going on with Tanner. And his coach, David Shaw, came out and said, you know, basically, well, yeah, maybe, probably, kind of, sort of, we'll see, we'll get there, we ought to know Friday. Thanks, coach. (laughs) So he's a big old definite maybe. Gee, thanks. (laughs) Well, he really didn't narrow it down. He didn't say what was wrong. He didn't say how long he was going to be out. He's uh, questionable for this game. And it's a big deal because they have no run game. And I mean no run game. How many times has Stanford run for 100 yards in this? Uh, had a 100-yard rusher in it this year? Once. Been one 100-yard rusher all year, and that's because kid broke an 87-yard run against USC. Period. End of story. So they've had one good run play this year and had one good game from a running back. The Utes, their defensive front, ought to control the line of scrimmage and now make them one-dimensional literally from the opening drive and can Stanford beat you? Typically, when Kyle Whittingham gets a team to be one-dimensional, his defense is in good shape, and the Utes are in good shape, and they win the game. If the Utes win, they improve to 6-3, and 5-1. and one. They know they have a mulligan in the final four games. If they win, they've got a mulligan in the final three, and they got Arizona and Colorado, and they shouldn't need a mulligan there. They are in great shape right now, so I guess, what do we do? Do we upgrade them to excellent shape to go to the Pac-12 title game if they win this? I don't think we should be making three and five Stanford, who's two and four in the conference, make them out to be a big hurdle. And yet, when you look at the youth schedule, 
Well, they're the second. Oregon's the big hurdle. But you have a mulligan for Oregon. So this is the second biggest hurdle. And this is what happens. The Utes are playing the last place team in the North, Stanford, and they've still got the two bottom teams in the South who are combined 2-14, and 14, and one of those wins was when Colorado beat Arizona, and the other is when Colorado beat Northern Colorado in their Big Sky Money game. I mean, just follow the yellow brick road, Dorothy. That's Oz. You're going to the Pac-12 title game. Don't mess it up against Stanford tonight. By the way, Stanford's run defense. Terrible. So Utah ought to run the ball. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. Senior day. Great memories. Last game in the stadium. We've said it a million times. Football is the one thing. That's the sport you cannot approximate when you're done. When you're done, you're done. No turkey bowl is going to match the organization and intensity of a college football game. So if you're not going to the NFL, and a few guys are, this is it. And it's kind of weird because it could be a senior day for the juniors, and they haven't sorted all that out. Guys have decisions to make. The program has decisions to make. They might encourage guys to move along. We'll have to see. And obviously for some guys, it would be a chance to transfer and play one more year somewhere else if they really want to. So a lot of stuff to be sorted out. But BYU ought to pound Idaho State. The Cougars are 7-2. and two. That ought to go to 8-2. Idaho State is not only a big sky team, they're a bad big sky team. They're 1-7. So how many is BYU going to win by? I don't know. How many does Kalani want to win by? BYU TV at 1-30. Cougar pregame show starts at 12-30 live from JCW's in... Provo, DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah State. Well, BYU's not the only team playing a bad one in seven team. No. I was going to say. Utah State is playing New Mexico State. A perfectly awful one and seven. Now, if you're looking for comparative scores and you need more assurance that the the team that just came into uh, Logan and got crunched by the Aggies. Aggies dropped 50 on Hawaii. Well, Hawaii's beaten New Mexico State twice. As an independent, New Mexico State was looking for games in a pandemic. Hawaii's having problems scheduling games, I guess. Or maybe just in general. That's a long way to go. So Hawaii scheduled New Mexico State to a home-and-home and beat them 41-21 and 48-34. So if New Mexico State can score 34 points on Hawaii, how many points should Utah State score? A lot. They ought to roll. Non-league game, Aggies ought to get to 7-2. It's on Bally Sports Arizona and Flow Football. And Scotty G's got the call right here on the Zone Sports Network, 1 o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. So the Cal Bears, multiple players will miss tomorrow games, tomorrow's game against Arizona after entering COVID protocols, citing student privacy laws. Cal did not specify which players. They didn't even say how many. They did say 99% of the players are fully vaccinated, so you could be in the protocol. You get two negative tests in 24 hours, you can play. But maybe this is the game Arizona wins. I mean, they got to win at some point, right? They got to break this streak at some point. They didn't win this year. They didn't win last year. They didn't. Uh, never mind. It's been a long if time. If you're going to snap the streak, get a team that is short on athletes. Right. But we don't know how many, and we exactly. don't know how many are starters, so uh, that one's looming out there. Uh, big games. Uh, Auburn and Texas A&M is the only game that matches ranked teams this week. 13th ranked Auburn goes to 14th ranked Texas A&M. That's 130 on CBS, and they're just sorting out who gets to go to a New Year's Day bowl game and who doesn't. It's basically what they're sorting out there because we know Alabama and Georgia are headed to the SEC title game. There is a path for Auburn if they went out. and Yeah, but that's not going to happen, is it? It's going to be Alabama, and it's going to be Georgia. 
and everybody else will be shocked if it's anything other than that. But Alabama does have a loss, and Auburn does have a loss, so if Auburn wins out and wins the Iron Bowl, they could still end up in the conference title game. The rest of it, well, now that we have the official rankings, even if you don't like them, we're just looking for upsets. Uh, And so mostly you're looking for teams who are on the road. Now, Ohio State has a loss. I would think a second one would eliminate them, although they're Ohio State. So, you know, if someone's going to get in with two losses, it's going to be Alabama or Ohio State. Ohio State will take their 7-1 record to Nebraska. Nebraska's got to break through at some point, and they are at home, but I wouldn't think it's this week. Ninth-ranked Wake Forest is undefeated. They're going to North Carolina. And the ACC is so big that even though they're natural in-state rivals, they don't play each other, so they scheduled a non-conference game so they could play each other, which is, it's bad they're not playing each other in the conference, and this is the downside of mega-conferences. But if you want to schedule non-conference games to keep rivalries going, I'm all for it. Uh, That's the best option, and then the second best option is find a bowl game they can play in. Stop with all these conference tie-ins. They produce games nobody wants to watch. Create bowl games. The bowl games have enough issues just getting star players to play and paling in comparison to the importance of playoff games. At least give them some matchups. Come on. What are you doing? Uh, undefeated Michigan State is at Purdue. Trap game. Purdue's 5-3. and three. They're decent. And Michigan State has to go to Purdue, and they're coming off a big emotional win over Michigan and a great rally and all that stuff. So college teams go on the road. Sometimes crazy things happen. Uh, one loss, Oklahoma State's at West Virginia. One loss, Baylor is at TCU after the coaching change. So for you BYU fans studying up on the Big 12, a couple games to keep an eye on right there. And uh, Alabama's at home against LSU, uh, 5 o'clock on ESPN. That uh, They ought to keep rolling. Oregon is on ABC. Nice time slot there at Washington after Washington's coach trash talks their academics. Can Oregon keep it going? They're number four. They got to win out. They got to beat Washington, beat the Utes. Probably have to beat the Utes twice to hold on to that spot and get to a playoff. Personally, I think they put them at four. And it gives, hey, Pac-12, we respect you. And then you didn't play anybody down the straight. straight and look at what Oklahoma did, man. They beat, they beat these ranked teams in Baylor and Oklahoma State. And Oregon gets leapfrogged. So. I was going to say, yo, Ohio State's going to jump over. You're in. Too. Yeah, and, well, but Ohio State can knock Michigan State out. I know. They, so there's, so there's, a, there's a whole, yeah. Right, there's a lot. Of, but it almost feels like the Pac-12, look, we respect you. For now. Two weeks from now. But this is strictly a TV show, and we get to change our times multiple times because the last one matters a whole lot more than all the other ones put together. College football playoff expansion talks have been tabled until December 1. Oh, go to 12 teams already. Spread it across three networks. Keep CBS and Fox interested, and make sure CBS and Fox televise Big Ten and Pac-12 games. There, I said it. Let's just make it happen. Let's get on with it. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Well, RSL's got one more shot. They have to beat Sporting Kansas City in Kansas City to get into the playoffs. They've had their shots. They've lost three of the last four. They've lost back-to-back home games. But the way things set up and based on who else is playing, if they win, they're in. And I know, we've heard that before, but we hear it again, and it's true one more time. And basically, in about half their seasons, their fate has been decided on the final day. It's a salary cap league. There's a lot of parody or mediocrity, depending on whether you want to praise or criticize. So it often comes down to the last day for multiple teams. And for LAFC, the LA Galaxy, RSL, Vancouver, Minnesota, those five teams playing for three berths, 
on the final day of the season. Uh, Kansas City has something at stake here. They could win and still, with some help, get to the top spot and get a first-round bye and be at home for all the Western playoffs. Or they could finish second and get two home games and have to go on the road uh, for a conference final. Or they could drop all the way to third and only get one home game. So plenty at stake for sporting that whole notion of, well, depending on what happens, they might rest everybody. No. The top three are separated by one point. They'll all be playing because they've all got something to play for and advantage is built into the playoff system, which it took forever, but they finally got right with a single elimination knockout play. Winner advances, loser goes home. Much better now than what they had before. Too confusing. DJ and PK, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Yuck, one thing to watch. Uh, they're just not taking Demir and Albert off the field, the two best players. They'll, other guys have rotated in and out, but those two will be playing their fifth game in 16 days. We to see how much they can run and what they got left in the tank. All right, DJ and PK coming up. David Locke at 830. Stanford's play-by-play, the voice of the Cardinal at 9.05 to get a lowdown on tonight's game. Coming up next, the question of the day. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Hot Takes of Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021, and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text hair to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment, or visit www.utahhairmd.com. So the Jazz win again. Best record in the division. Best record in the conference. Best record in the entire NBA. Jazz are 7-1. and one, Half game in front of the Warriors who are 6-1. and one. Those are the only one-loss teams in the NBA. Everybody, has, everybody else has tasted defeat at least twice. And the Jazz do it. They win in Atlanta. Made a great playoff run last year. Beat the Knicks in five Beat the Sixers in seven. Pushed the Bucks to six games. That was 2-2. And then the Bucks won the last two to win the series and go on and win the title. So, young team on the way up. Good young star. And the Jazz are missing their star. And the Jazz win on the road by 18. And not only were they on the road, they were on the road in a, a difficult stretch. And they'd been home, but they'd only been home for one game. All they did was put put more miles on the old team playing. Coming home for one game with Sacramento after you've been in Houston, Chicago, Milwaukee, that's just continuing the rhythm of game, plane flight, game, plane flight, game. I mean, yeah, one of them was at home, but it's like the worst possible home game. Yeah, you're in Milwaukee, we're going to bring you home for one game, and then we're going to send you back to Atlanta. It's the kind of stuff people groan at. The all the people who check, you know, sleep deprivation and making sure the team gets rest and the schedule comes out and they see that. The Jazz roll through that. 
And they got their their all-star, a guy who's still getting better. And he's the guy who handles all the crunch time shots. You take him out of the lineup, and the Jazz respond by making sure there is no crunch time. Crunch time's five-point game, last five minutes. It's tense. You need big shots, and Donovan's your guy. The Jazz don't have him. It's a one-point game going to the fourth quarter. So the Jazz drop the hammer and make sure that they win the game in the first half of the fourth quarter, and they did. They pushed that lead up to 11. It was bouncing back and forth between 11 and 13 at the old six-minute mark. They had them. So I wonder how much Jazz fans are going to rally around this, get pumped up. It's on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. And it's got like nine comments. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. There's too much negativity in the media. Let's have some positivity. No Donovan Mitchell versus the Hawks. No friggin' problem. How impressive is that? This is teed up for a super positive moment. Nine of you embraced it. Now, if there had been something negative about or even potentially negative about college football. It wouldn't have to be negative. Just potentially negative. You could have embraced it. PK put up a great question about how good it would be to see uh, BYU and Oregon play to determine who the best in the West is. And it doesn't matter. Coaches poll, media poll, college football rankings. Like These are the two best teams in the West. And they've beaten the Mountain West division leaders. And they're uh, combined 8-1 and one against Pac-12 teams. I mean, they're the best teams in the West. And I copy and paste that and put that on, on my Twitter page. And a lot of stuff I tweet will get you know, three, four, five, six thousand interactions. And that's kind of normal. I haven't even checked this one lately, but it was over 40,000. I don't know what it's gone to. It keeps getting retweeted and debated. It's two days old, and I'm still getting comments on it. People are still going nuts over that. Oh, it's at 70,000 now. Wouldn't it be great? This is like 10 times, 12 times what you normally get. A tweet that I'm giving away free jazz tickets on the show with PK. I got about 3,000 hits. (laughs) Man, you people love the negative. You complain about it in the media, but all you got to do is post on the positive. Let's go. Samuel did. Awesome. All caps. Go jazz. Beat the heat magic this weekend. I guess I shouldn't rule anything out, Samuel. I assume they're going to split. I assume that they're going to rest Conley and Mitchell against Miami. Go for it against Orlando. Make sure you don't give away any gimmies. The Jazz are good enough, I think, they can. You're not going to win them all, but you are going to win the overwhelming vast majority of your gimmies. And then against the better teams, or at least decent teams on the road, you know, you struggle. There's 15 to 20 losses built into most NBA schedules. And then how many more do you drop after that? It's the rare team that wins more than the low 60s. And when you win in the low 60s, you are a championship contender. You know, in any given year, somewhere between one and three teams break 60 wins. And that number seems to be dropping. There's more taking care of your stars, limiting their minutes, giving them days off, which leads to more losses and makes it harder to get to 60 wins. Brad said J.C. shot his way out of his slump. Great job. Man, that second half, he was a different guy. For two and a half games, it was brutal. 
And then all of a sudden, Jordan Clarkson was on fire, couldn't miss. You know, a lot of times when guys get hot, you'll see them get hot from one or two places on the floor. You know, they got their favorite spot, and they'll hit shots from there. Maybe they'll get a couple of buckets in transition, and they'll have a good run. And Clarkson's shot chart, he is everywhere. He's two or three different places in the lane. There's the 47 dribbles through his legs behind his back before he sticks the three right in front of the Jazz bench. But there's a catch-and-shoot three above the break on the left-hand side. So he was hitting from different spots on the floor. He was as hot as you get, absolutely feeling it. A mix of two- and three-pointers, a mix of catch-and-shoot and and off the dribble, and he he just crushed it. And he had the stretch where, you know, he hadn't been good. He hadn't been able to make anything. He was 0 for 11 for 3 against Sacramento, and he was 0 for 7 from 3 against Milwaukee. So he was piling up the misses. But, man, did he have it going in the second quarter. They threw that graphic up. Buller mentioned, I think, 9 of 11 in the second half. Just as hot as you get. So he can't sustain that, but he's not going to sustain the 0 for 18 either. And if you look at it, if you go to the law of numbers – He's still 4 for 28 in his last three games from three. When it's all done, I expect he's going to shoot mid to high 30% from three, so he's got a stretch where he ought to be making some more shots here. I don't, I think, I don't think we've seen the last of red-hot Jordan Clarkson on this road trip. I wouldn't think. More people weighing in on our Facebook page. Philip, the flamethrower igniting was just as much of a story as getting the win. Come on, Phillip. It's all about the wins. Beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Split with the teams who are pretty good. You're going to end up in a good place in the playoff seating. And that's what this is. An 82-game march to give yourself the best possible path through the playoffs. Still have to do it. And you can lose home games. We all watch the Jazz. Lose a home game to the Clippers. And three in L.A. you got to win on the road. But the more home games you have, the better. DeJuro says, very impressive. It shows how deep this Jazz team is. It's never easy to get big wins on the road. Go Jazz. Man, you are right about that, DeJuro. The, uh, one of the many cool things that happened, and Jordan Clarkson going for 30 uh, is the headline to this game without question. But the Jazz ability to take the seventh man of the year, yeah, I'm going to make that a thing, to take the seventh man of the year, and plug Joe Ingles into the starting lineup and have Joe go off. Joe was 5 of 6 from 3. I mean, we're talking about how hot Jordan Clarkson was, because he was. Joe was 5 of 6. He's 7 of 9 from the floor. He had it going himself. Plug him in, get 19 points out of him, and everybody else did their thing. Bogey wasn't that hot, though. It's not like everybody was hot. They shot 41% as a team. Kind of lost in the Clarkson struggle was the Jazz haven't been shooting the three well at all. They've been down on a low 30%. So as a group, they ought to have more of these 40% games, get that number up to the high 30s uh, when it's all, when it's at the end of the day, or at the end of the season, more accurately. Uh, you would expect the Jazz to be shooting 37, 38, 39% from three, somewhere up in there. So that would hit some more. That hit some more shots. They had more nights like that. Shoot their way to victory. 116 points is usually a winning number. All right, DJ and PK, more on the Jazz coming up, but we got to get to the NFL. Next, a couple of storylines for the locals. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Ready, ready, ready. It's game. 
game week for the Utes in the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's a Friday night edition of Utah football as the Utes hit the road to square off against David Shaw and the Stanford Cardinal in a key Pac-12 battle. Catch the Ute pregame show Friday night with a postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. When you go to your next Utah Jazz home game, visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 where there are free poppy shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Wow. After all that positivity about the Jazz, quite the negative tweet coming in. People are in a bad mood for a football Friday. Although this is... Only partially a football tweet. It is also a basketball tweet. Justin, number one, I'm glad you admitted the Oregon tweet was negative on air. Number two, a few comments on a Facebook Jazz post. I guess boomers are still sleeping. Great game from the Jazz. Team's deep and unified. Love seeing Hassan W. smile and fun and Clarkson say how much he loves his teammates. Come on, the Facebook question was up last night at 8 o'clock. Boomers didn't go to sleep at 8 and sleep till 8. Come on, Justin. You hate positivity. I get it. And the Oregon tweet was just negative for Ute fans who can't admit BYU's better. BYU's got a better record. BYU beat the Utes head-to-head. All right. For one year, they're better. Just say it. Don't give them all the fun. You chum the waters? Let them go at you? Yeah, you guys had a nice year. Utah's loading up for next year. They're going to have most of this team back. They're winning the division. The division's in turmoil. It looks like the division's going to be in turmoil next year. PK said it. I hadn't even thought about it because it's so far away. But as soon as he said it, I knew it was true. He's going to be picked to win the division again next year. UCLA's going to have a new quarterback. USC is going to have a new head coach. Apparently, ASU's going to have a new head coach and a whole new coaching staff. And Arizona and Colorado are a long way away from being decent, let alone winning the division. But, some people just like to fight back and forth. We take you now. Let's have a rematch. Although, BYU fans, what were you doing yelling at Ute fans in that discussion about how bad the Pac-12 sucks? That made no sense to me. You people hate each other so bad, you can't even make sense. And I know I'm like the king of logical, and I didn't go to the bus stop here in the sixth grade and get yelled at because I'm wearing the wrong color suit, uh, uh, shirt. I go to games and media events and get yelled at for not wearing the way. What are you doing wearing red slash blue? First off, this isn't West Side Story. It's not the Jets and the Sharks. It's not the Crips and the Bloods. Yawk is now dancing like he's in West Side Story. I just threw up in my mouth. That was horrible. Never do that again. Okay, that was just radio. That was actually remarkably good. I was just playing radio. That was remarkably good. You're welcome. Were you in high school musicals? Were you the offensive oh, lineman who did it all? No, I had buddies who were... You were straight offensive lineman. I was just... I had AP classes in offensive Oh, somebody was very smart. Humble brag. History. That's the only thing. All right. <clears throat> so where was I? 
What was I talking about, Yach, before you distracted me? Oh, the Jets and the Sharks, yeah. And, you know, what are you wearing that code for? Because it's cold and it's station issued. I don't know, whatever. Leave me alone. So I don't get into it the way you get into it. But I got to admit, watching those discussions, I was stunned the way BYU went at Utah fans because the Pac-12 sucks. Well, first off, it does, so why are we even arguing about that? It obviously does. Obviously. It's not debatable. This is a horrible year for the Pac-12. Get through it and move on and hope there's better times ahead. But BYU, the BYU's whole season is hanging right now on their wins over the Pac-12. It's not because you've been great against the Mountain West. You beat Utah State, you lost to Boise State, you're 1-1. and eh. It's not because you're going to beat a Big Sky team and you're going to beat Georgia Southern. Those are the gimmies everybody has baked into their schedule. It's weird to have them baked in in November. I'm not used to that. But I've never lived in the southeast part of the country where the SEC does this all the time, and you have to get ready for the game with the Citadel in November. I don't like it. I'm looking forward to BYU being in the Big 12 and having big games and have the story build in November instead of come to a screeching halt in November. Last year, BYU took the hit. BYU took the hit last year because they didn't have Power 5 teams on their schedule. Not their fault. All the Power 5 teams canceled. They had NFL talent. I think they would have done great against Power 5 teams because they had so many NFL-caliber guys at the top of their roster. This year, they're doing great against the Pac-12. They're 4-0. I think they're going to go 5-0. But this is like the fans who chant overrated, and literally every fan base does that. You've just won a big game. You chant overrated the other team. It just diminishes what you do. It doesn't make any sense to me. None whatsoever. All right, I got a commercial break to try and figure that out. Coming up, it's a football Friday. There are big NFL games to watch. There are intriguing college football games to watch. And then there's what our locals are going to do. And we'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. This week's Raiders game against the Giants is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. All right, we got a, uh, a football Friday here. We're going to have David Locke on to talk jazz next. We're going to spend a little time on football, storylines, big games. We're getting to midseason in the NFL. I guess now we have to wait until teams are playing their ninth game to say, this is the middle of the season now that they've gone to 17 games. Teams are playing their eighth game and out of habit. I want to say, this is it, the halfway point of the season. I love to do that, and Yach loves to make fun of me for it. It's like the one thing PK forgets to make fun of me for, but Yach always reminds him to make fun of me for but I can't really do it now. It's not the halfway point yet. But there are teams that start out every year, and they got three or four wins in midseason, and they rally, make the playoffs. You can go back through previous years and find teams that have done it. In some cases, you can find teams that have gone to the Super Bowl. So this is all just uh, it's kind of the warm-up, and then it gets way more intense in the second half of the season. And the thing we've got this year as we hit the, the middle part of the season is we just got resets for all these teams. Now, for some of these teams, it's kind of a one-off. I mean, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's just going to miss one or two games. But the Packers aren't the Packers. It's 7-1. The Chiefs have stumbled to 4-4. Four and four. I don't think they can pull this together. I mean, are they a playoff contender? Yes, they're a playoff contender. Are they a Super Bowl contender? They look a long way away from that. Maybe. Maybe they can get to the playoffs and outscore somebody in winning game. But it doesn't seem like there's any way they can do more than that. The Cardinals, with no track record, great start. You're 7-1. and one. They're one of the teams that seems like kind of 
study as she goes, and they don't have a lot of change to deal with. The, the Titans, obviously a mega injury, and the Titans are playing a game of the week. Six and two Titans, seven and one Rams. By record, it's the game of the week, but the Titans have lost Derrick Henry, so it's like they've got to they got to conjure up a whole new offense because everything they did was either Derrick Henry running over people, Derrick Henry running away from people, or well, you're focused on Derrick Henry possibly running over and away from people. We're going to do this over here. We're going to throw the ball. We're going to hand it off to somebody else. And we're going to run a jet sweep, and the guy's going to go wide, and there's not going to be anybody there because there'll be eight guys diving on Derrick Henry, and he's a decoy just you know, with faking the handoff up the middle. All that's out the window now. It's a whole new deal for the Titans. So intriguing this weekend to see what the Titans look like against the Rams. Man, if there's a team you don't want to have to figure it out against. And the Rams going all in, trading draft picks, bringing in Von Miller. So plenty of storylines there. For the Raiders, man, if there's one thing we've learned, it's that coaches hate distractions. But the Raiders had a coach create a distraction. The coach is gone. Now they've had, I don't want to label him a star player, but he is their deep threat, so that always gets people's attention. He's a first-round pick. Yeah, but a first-round, he wasn't a star. But he was an important part of the offense. Even if he's not catching balls, he takes the top off of the defense, opens it up for everybody else. And now Henry Ruggs is out. He's got his legal issues after the DUI crash and the death in Vegas. So this is a team that's, you know, new play caller, losing a guy who's a part of the offense, and then they're dealing with the distractions, getting asked about it all the time. Guys have relationships with the coach. Guys have relationships with the player. They're gone. Are the Raiders going to hold it together? And honestly, how much did we believe them in in the first place before all of this? You know, are they okay? Yeah, they're okay. But are they among the top group of contenders? Only the most hardcore, the silver and black, would say that. But now by record, they're sitting right there. Seems pretty clear to me, the Ravens, and the Bills are the teams. And that's who we're looking at. And everybody else is chasing them. Now, those teams may be gutted by injuries. They may have their problems in the second half of the season. But as we sit here now, those are the teams. If you got those two or the field, I would think you would take one of those two, not the field, to go to the Super Bowl. But there are many games to sort this out, and we're already dealing with changes we had no idea were coming. It's a bigger weekend for me looking at the NFL than it is for college, for no other reason than... Man, the Utes and Cougars and Aggies are playing nobody this weekend. Nobody, nobody, and nobody. A combined 5-19. and 19. They're horrible opponents. The Utes opponent at least looks remotely dangerous. Stanford beat Oregon. And that's Oregon's only loss, and Oregon won at Ohio State. Oregon has not been dominating people, but they have definitely got a knack for pulling out close games, and they didn't against Stanford. And I know that then we get into the whole, well, there was pass interference play, and they got an untimed down, and that got them to overtime, and you know, we can argue that kind of stuff forever. But Oregon wasn't a close game at Stanford. They could be in a close game with the Utes, I suppose. Although on the surface, there doesn't appear to be any reason for that. Everybody who tries to run the ball, and the Utes obviously fall in the group of teams to try to run the ball, everybody who tries to run the ball, even remotely, runs for 200 yards against these guys. SC, who spreads the field and throws it around, ran for 185 yards against these guys. Wazoo ran for 100. Stanford's run defense, bad. The Utes should take care of this. This should not be a problem. When they dominate the run game, and when they dominate defensively against the run, and I told you earlier this morning, Stanford's had 100-yard back all year long. The Utes win. 
Period. End of story. That's what Kyle Whittingham wants to do. That's how he's built the team. And when he does that, he wins. If he doesn't do that, BYU game, they get beat. Don't get pushed around at the line of scrimmage. And the Utes are the ones who, and, and Stanford may not have their quarterback. Tanner McKee's questionable for the game. We don't know why. Stanford's coach, David Shaw, didn't get into that, but he's questionable for the game. And their whole offense hangs on him. So this is all set up for Utah. It is all right in front of them. They have to go 3-1 and one in their last four. And when you got Arizona and Colorado on your schedule, I got you penciled in for two wins right there. This should be three. Get this, and if you're a Ute fan, man, buy those Pac-12 title game tickets. You are headed to the Pac-12 championship game. It's go time. And for everybody else, you're playing one in seven teams. For BYU, it's the big sky game. It's a money game. Most teams in the West play that in September. As an independent, you've got to play it in November. We're all looking forward when you don't have to do that anymore in two years. And for Utah State, it's New Mexico State. And New Mexico State, one in seven. Lost twice that Hawaii team you just lost to. Their win is over South Carolina State. Let that sink in. Not South Carolina. South Carolina State. This is a team that went up against... UTEP and New Mexico, and I know UTEP's having a good season, but they're still UTEP. And New Mexico's not having a good season. And New Mexico State lost to both of them. So, Utah State, W. BYU, W. Utah tonight, ought to be a W. There's just going to be a whole lot of winning down the stretch. The Aggies have a couple of gimmies. The Utes have a couple of gimmies. The Cougars have a couple of gimmies. How many games really should be lost in November? Maybe two at most the rest of the way? It's not out of the realm that the three local bowl subdivision teams, man, that's a mouthful. They got to come up with what was wrong with 1A? 1A was fine. Why did we go to bowl subdivision? 1A was fine. Those three local teams could run the table in November. There's really no reason not to. Utah State's toughest game is probably San Jose State. Utah's toughest game is USC, and they look like a mess. And the Utes have Oregon. All right. Not unbeatable. Everybody's playing close games with them, but you got to give it to Oregon. They've had an act for winning close games. It's a whole lot of winning down the stretch for college football teams. It is all set up, and this weekend ought to be just full of victories. Just completely set up with the wins. When it's all said and done, all three of these teams ought to have 10 wins. That is also set up. Now, in the Utes case, it could be, you know, playing 14 games, so it gets a little easier to get to 10 wins. But 10 and 2, uh, certainly with a 13th game, a bowl game, I guess actually the Aggies could end up playing 14 games too. BYU 10 and 2, the Utes and Aggies in the conference championship games. That's how we wake up on December 1st next month. BYU 10 and 2, Utah and Utah State, we're getting set for conference title games. It is a good year be a local college football fan. All right, DJ PK coming up. Stanford's play-by-play guy is going to join us coming up at uh, 9 o'clock, and we'll see if he knows any more about Tanner. Tanner McKee's status and availability for tonight and what Stanford will look like. Man, when he hasn't played, they have not looked good. They got a couple other quarterbacks. One doesn't throw the ball, and one throws the ball poorly. We'll talk with uh, Scott Reese coming up at uh, 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joins us. The Jazz on the road and winning without Donovan Mitchell. We'll talk with David next. Stay with us. 
The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Utah Jazz picking up a win on the road in Atlanta. They do it without Donovan Mitchell. No Donovan, no problem. Donovan's role, scoring 20 to 30 points a game. Taken up quite ably by Jordan Clarkson, who dumped 30 in on Atlanta. He got hot in the second half and couldn't miss. He'd missed a lot in the two previous games. He missed a lot in the first half. But something clicked, and clearly, judging by his body language, he was rolling in the confidence. Oodles of confidence, and he made almost every shot he put up in the second half. He was flexing. He was smiling. He was Basically, just going MJ and wagging the tongue and just like, let's get back down court. I want to shoot again because this is awesome. And he made 9 out of 11 shots and carried the Jazz as they scored at will in the second half. 77 points in the second half to pull away and beat Atlanta 116-98. to And Atlanta, off to a mediocre start. They're 4-5. and five. They've lost four of the last five games. Trey Young had a quote. About, uh, you know, the regular season's a little boring. And <laughs> this is Scotty G went after him on Twitter. That was fun, Scotty G. Uh, but come on, they just had a great playoff run. He's experienced a thrill of the playoffs, going to Madison Square Garden, taking the Knicks down in five, going to Philly and winning a seven-game series, and having the world champs tied 2-2 in a conference final before the Bucks ultimately won games five and six and, and won the series in six. So maybe Atlanta's got a little hangover for that. Maybe they're doing a little Kansas City Chiefs thing here. I don't know. But that was a nice win for the Jazz. No Donovan Mitchell. One-point game going to the fourth quarter. And Clarkson continues his role. Joe Ingles, who'd been great in the first half, hit a couple of big shots. Bogey hit a couple of big shots. And the Jazz got to the free-throw line in the fourth quarter. They got to the free-throw line down the stretch and, uh, and made enough of them. And win going away, 116-98. Time to talk jazz basketball with David Locke. But right now, Yach would rather talk to David Locke. <laughs> Listen, I got a couple things to say. We'll put them on the radio when we're good and ready. I've been watching the jazz and I have a couple observations. I'm going to monopolize David right now. Yach just kept holding up one finger. Yeah, we'll get to it. I got to talk to David for a second, though. Just blowing us off, Yach. It's your world. We're just renting space. It's good to be the Yachtmeister. All right, David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by Murdoch Auto Team. We are allowed to speak with David now. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit SmartRain.net or call 877-346-3333. 877-346-3333. David Locke, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It was a fun game last night. Guys played well. Played really, really hard. Got a win. Jordan went crazy. <laughs> kind of fun. So you know a lot of what is coming. 
partly because you get to talk to coaches, and so they tell you, hey, watch for this, watch for that. We're trying to do this. They're trying to do that. So, and, and you've been around so many games. You see the trends. You know a bunch of stuff yourself. But nonetheless, a one-point game going to the fourth quarter, did you think this game will be over at the six-minute mark? The Jazz will lock this game up in the first half of the fourth quarter because they pushed the lead up to 13. And with six minutes to go, I'm thinking, yeah, Atlanta's done. This is over. Jazz have this. Yeah, there was a boy on three that rimmed out where I'm like, like I, my mind, I had started to call it. Yeah, like I, it's I know a the play. Ball game, yeah, right. Um, no, I did not see that coming at all. Um, you know, there were these kind of moments where they had such a rough first quarter and they were down one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think a line I used on the broadcast was, "It looked feels as though you showed up to a Sunday matinee and got the understudies." Um, because it just didn't look like them. I mean, Royce turned the pass out of bounds. I think that was Trent Forrest, you know, movie. I mean, truthfully, what's going on is anytime we're outside of our core nine right now, it's kind of like falling apart. It was actually that was the case in, up until the third quarter when Jordan got going and they went on a sixteen to seven run with Mike and Rudy on off the floor, and so that was the first moment where last night I was like, oh, we're okay, because. What I was watching before that was this kind of teeter-totter of how far ahead can we get when Mike and Rudy are on the floor and how much of it are we going to give back when they go to the bench. Um, In the first stint of the night in which Mike and Rudy went to the bench, I think we were 0 for 8 with three turnovers and had two free throws for the whole time. Um, And But defended and stayed in. I mean, that's where Trent Forrest is really... You know, he's a really hell of a defender. And so, despite that the, we were struggling offensively, he kept us in the game. Um, so, so, but then when they went on the 16-7 to run in the third quarter with Trent Forrest and Jordan and Joe and Pascal and Gobert, on the floor, or uh, Whiteside on the floor, then, you know, like you're like, okay, well, we're in pretty good shape because Mike and Rudy will have never, you know, outscore everybody. Um, and so they should be okay. Okay, so apparently Yach wants to make it clear that he wasn't just selfishly monopolizing you. He was actually getting a Jordan Clarkson post-game quote that you thought was worthwhile. He has it, and why don't you set it up for us? Why is this uh, important? What did you hear in this? So, I don't know where you are on this. If I'm perfectly honest, I, I generally find some of the team chemistry talk that we hear all the time, like a little, you know, I like analytics, right? And um, I'm not always the biggest buyer into the whole team chemistry thing. Like, just you know, there's plenty of teams that don't get along with Gordon Play and are pretty good. Um, maybe I grew up rooting for Billy Martin's Yankees, and so you know, and Billy Martin's A's, and they all hated each other. Um, but this is a case where, and actually, the more I'm spending back being around the team, you know, the amount of times I hear whether it's coaches or players talking about how much they like the guys and how much they like the group. And it, I think is going to carry this team through this season because there's a lot of pitfalls that they have over the next 70 games that could derail them. And I think, it'll, it, it, and I just thought this, like Jordan, who has just a sincerity to everything about him, I thought this comment just was really, really telling. When I missed the last 23 shots, probably threes or whatever it was, in my mind, I just tried to continue to be myself and my teammates all the way down the line, coaches, owner, management, everybody just coming up to me, JC, keep shooting, keep shooting, it's going to happen. And then Don, before the game, just coming over to me, telling me, like, bro, it's going to happen. And we start hitting, it's just going to keep falling. Hats off to, like, that's why I love this team. I love my teammates, love the coaching staff, love this organization, because they all believe in me and uh, believe what I can do. And it's just beautiful. That's why you want to go out there and win a bunch of games and play hard and 
compete for each other. So I'm very thankful for that. Hey, I, that's, I don't know. I just thought that was a different level. Like that's not just the talk. That's not just the words. There was, there was a real heartfelt comment in there. I think talent matters. Number one, uh, chemistry does matter. Although I think when you win, you have better chemistry. Um, and then I also think with veteran teams, and this is where the Jazz still have young guys, but once you, you know, you're married with kids, you're not going to hang out with the guys as much. So it helps to have good chemistry when you're there. But young teams have different chemistry than old teams. And I think young teams can win in baseball, and I think they do win in football. But basketball really demands veterans. So... I'm with you. A lot of the team chemistry hype, yeah, I'd rather have it than not. Um, but mostly I'd rather have talent. Right. You, you and know, and I'd, rather, I'd rather have the analytics to find every single advantage. If you shoot the three better here than you shoot the three over there, well, let's figure out to get more threes here where you make more of them. Right. So, so I'm, I, I'm much more into that. Your comment that you know winning teams you know end up with good chemistry. Like I'm guessing the Braves' chemistry wasn't great throughout the season this year at times, and now their chemistry is great because they won a championship. Yep. Um, so, but I thought there was actually a little depth to that. And frankly, the Jazz have every. This is the thing: the Jazz have every reason to have bad chemistry at this point because they have playoff failures or whatever you want to call them. I mean, failure is not the right word because, but they have scars. They, they have joint collective scars, whether it's. You know, Rudy and Don had their issue, right? They've had an issue. Um, they've all been together for a long time. Like, I'm sure they each, whatever little thing each of them does that can annoy, could annoy the crap out of them are evident to them at all times. Um, and they have, you know, and they've, they've fallen short in, of their goal last year and the year prior. And so they have scars. And so you could, you could very easily cop out and point fingers and, Come to the season like, oh, here we do it again with this guy who like let us down. But there's none of that at all with this group. I, I, I've been stunned by that from the very first moment we met with them this year. That when we first got together with them on content day, that there just was not a lot of talk backwards about losing to the Clippers and the pain of the offseason. And, you know, there was Mike saying, you know, I actually didn't leave my house for a little while. But that was also the same guy who was saying, you know, when it came to looking at free agency, I realized all the things I would be missing if I left, and so I came back. So there just hasn't been that, you know, Marcus Smart freaking just torched the Celtics this week, right? I mean, that was a torch. These guys don't want to pass. <laughs> like, holy smokes. Yeah, but, but you know, on the other hand, it was just cold-hearted truth out in the open. I hope he said it privately before he said it publicly. But if it didn't work privately, and you got to say it publicly, right. sometimes you do, and yeah, I, I, mean, hey, I they won, did they notice. They won two straight since. Right, right and exactly. Year, right? And then they won. You know, everybody's got the scars, and that doesn't. that's a sports thing. That's an NBA thing. It's a college thing. It's just a life thing, right? And in the NBA, you have to have the scars to win. Now, some teams get the scars and never win. And you know, win is de- is defined differently. You know, for for Sacramento, just getting to the playoffs would be a win, right? It's been 15 years. Other teams, it's winning a playoff series. That was where the Jazz were last year. Then it's about getting the finals and winning it all. You know, and so you're fortunate if you're in the group that has the scars, but you're in the group that has a chance to win it all because that group isn't that big. You were telling us earlier, yeah. Three, usually it's two to three teams. Now it's maybe three to five or six teams, with none of them have more than a 15 or 20% chance of winning. So a lot of teams are going to get scars, 
But somebody's going to figure it out. You know, how do you, how do you work your way past all that stuff? Well, if you want to be a champion, you have to do it. Right. And this, you know, I just thought that, you know, that comment from Jordan, you know, I, I don't think, I think he actually added one more line, which is why I come to work every day. Cause I just, right. And it, and if you're 30 years old, you're playing this league, it's a job, it's work, right? We hear it out. Joe, your interviews with Joe are great. I mean, I listened this week and, but you can hear it's a job, right? But it's a job they enjoy um, because of the guys that went. I thought Joe had some interesting comments this week and, and it kind of revealed the same stuff. I mean, <clears throat> actually it was with PK, I guess, cause you were out, but you know, even they were kind of just joking about Rudy, and the fact that Rudy decided a one-man fast break in a whirling dervish of disaster the other day. Um, and even as Joe kind of had fun with it, you could hear Joe being like, yeah, but like it was a little bit like you were making fun of his brother, and he was like, he wasn't really there. He was like, you know, the guy does a lot of stuff for us, so he tried something for a play. It didn't work. He probably should give it up next time. But, you know, if he's going to run the floor instead of pick and rebound every time, I guess he gets to do that. Like, it was really, that was three years of being together of like, okay, I'm going to accept that from Rudy because – of everything else he does for us. And he took six shots last night, you know, and, uh, he's, you know, he's not getting shots right now. And so I, I, I even heard it on that one where, you know, it was really funny and I was laughing, but it was clear to me that Joe was like, okay, let's not go too far with this. That's my brother you're talking about. So the Jazz are 7-1 and one, headed into Florida this weekend for a back-to-back with Miami and Orlando. Uh, I'm assuming right, Conley I've is... Got a great talk show. i got a great talk show topic. Well, why right. don't we do that then? <laughs> Apparently, yeah, I'm sure I mean, this one's going to get me in trouble, but that's all right. All right, so Mike's not playing back to back, right? Right. Donovan's probably not playing back to back with sore ankle, right? You would think. Like you go two and one on the road trip, all good, right? You would think. Yeah, if you win two thirds of your road games in the NBA, you're probably in a pretty good place. Sixty Any wins. Thought? Well, yeah, I assume, and this was my question to you, I assume that these two guys are not going to play on Saturday in Miami. And right, okay, that so Conley then, so plays can give, Sunday. Can I, give, can, I give Ru- Conley? can I give Rudy the day off, too, then? Uh, I guess it depends on how he feels. If you just want to totally throw it away. <laughs> just, I don't well, know how many of the I best mean, players you can take off the floor and still win. I mean, well, I mean, if we're going without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell against Miami Heat, we might be like throwing it away. You might be, but uh, if guys are ready to go and it gives guys a chance to be in a bigger role and perform and they pull something off, that could be awesome for the team down the road. Hey, they had to play big games without Conley and Mitchell at the end of yeah. last season, and they had to play in the playoffs with them limited. If guys have more confidence, I would, without those two guys, I would take it. I mean, to your point, they're two of their three best players most nights. So, yeah, if they're not playing against a team the caliber of the Heat, you're in trouble. Yeah, Kyle Lowry sprained an ankle last night, though, so who knows. See, you're making a you case. Know. Go for it. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Like, I don't know. I was just – I don't know what load management is. Um, I don't really get it. Uh, I haven't really seen anything from any data standpoint that says load management works. Um but I do you know that you didn't see the games, data that the Spurs did it and they won a bunch of championships because right. I'm sure that's right. the data most that's of the league the is going on. That's right. the data. But it's not data. That's <laughs> not data. That's that could be a that could be a correlation and it could not be a have a correlation. Um, but I do know this: seven road games, well, six road games and a single home game, so seven road games in eleven days is a lot. And if Rudy is, uh, you know, if there's something going on we don't know about, uh, then I'm 100% in favor of giving him the time off. 
Uh, I assume right. he's completely healthy because I haven't heard anything. I'm not covering my tracks no, here. He's, I, I mean, he's been incredible. Yeah. I mean, we're seven. And, I mean, Donovan's great. Jordan was amazing last night. I mean, but man, they're only one, they're, we're seven and one for a reason. Like, I was playing a game last night. Here's a fun one. We were replacing every center in the NBA with Rudy Gobert and giving the team their win total. It was pretty interesting. So we had 27 teams of 500 Rudy Gobert as their center. Well, that seems aggressive. Now, i got to admit, I haven't played this game and I haven't thought about it, so you'll probably be better than me at it and embarrass me on the radio. All right. Uh, who, are the three teams? who are the three teams who suck so bad that Rudy couldn't get them to 500? Oklahoma City Detroit, and Houston? Detroit, Houston, Oklahoma City. Okay. We actually had Orlando at 500. Uh, really? Particularly if Jonathan Isaac came back, because you were not going to be able to score against him. Okay. So Sacramento, Rudy Gobert in for Sean Holmes. That's a 500 playoff team. Yeah, okay, I can buy that. Yeah. Minnesota, Rudy Gobert in for Carl Anthony Towns. That's a playoff team. That one's hard because Carl's so good offensively. But D'Angelo Russell and... I'm just looking at the, yeah, just the worst teams here. Uh, can he fix Oklahoma City, San Antonio? No. San Antonio, yes. San Antonio now becomes the number one or two defensive team in the league. And so, therefore, they're 500 or better. Hmm. There aren't that many teams in the East with a losing record right now, so it's right. actually pretty easy. I mean, the Hawks and the Celtics are four and five, so Rudy's just got the Hawks. Actually, games. you know, what's really interesting is the Hawks are the team we actually—they're already a playoff team, so we decided they'd still be a playoff team. But Clint Capella is just not Rudy Gobert, but he's not that far off. Right, right. Um, you know, the Hawks keep—they're not Nate's screwing them up right now, but um, What's it? how's he screwing opinion. them up? Um, they stopped running. They stopped shooting threes. They're running, and they're not. They're not their shot distributions wacky. Like they're not shooting threes. Um, Devaluing the Jazz young. win last night. Atlanta screwed up. Um, they have lost. Well, look at the five. shot. Look at the shot distribution. That's not devaluing. That's just why we win games. We win games every, all the time because of shot distribution. We did last night. What did we take? Fifteen more threes, maybe. Uh, Jazz took. I gotta look that up. I think it was thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. It's a lot. Forty-one twenty-eight. Like, if you're taking thirteen threes, an average league average of threes is down right now to like thirty-four percent shooting, but it's still one point zero points per play, and a mid-range shot is forty percent. That's point eight. So that's a point two advantage, and you take thirteen more of them. That that is you know two point five points. Yeah, Jazz won by seventeen. So. Right. I mean, but so yeah, and Jordan went crazy. But the, that those two point five points matter. One by eighteen. Sorry, cheat him out of a point. Right. So, have you got any worries watching this team I mean, rattle off 30, to a seven-one start? Thirty-five. They took thirty-five mid-range shots, and we took fifteen. They took yeah. ten long twos. We took two. Like Trey Young has to be Steph Curry. Trey Young needs to shoot 10, 11, 12 threes in a game and stretch the floor. I think he took four. I have 20 shots. Jazz and Warriors have the best record in the NBA. Uh, I know you don't have too many worries about the Jazz because they're winning a lot, but if you try to match them up with some of the other teams that are off to really good starts, you got any worries? Sure, I got a lot of worries because the standard is winning a championship. So I have a lot of worries. Like, sure, I mean, I get really like, I think there have been some sequences <clears throat> already this season where I'm like, ooh, gosh, that's, you know, if you have an Achilles heel, like, it gets exposed somewhere in the 
by the time you play four teams to win a championship. And, you know, little of the hope is that you can get through and not face that team that exposes it. Milwaukee, you know, got exposed by Miami and then didn't have to face, then got over it and didn't face anyone else who exposed them. So in that sense, um, you know, so I've seen some things that have me concerned. Um, but that's only because our standard is trying to win a championship right now. Do you want to reevaluate where you put any of these teams in the uh, preseason of what you've seen so far? Are you a little higher on the Warriors? Um, a little cooler on the Blazers? Yeah, so I mean, I think I missed... Uh, well, the Blazers, honestly, I just think it's because they have a first-year head coach. So, um, I didn't miss on the Blazers. They're the fifth-best offensive team in the NBA right now, and that was really my point, was that they were going to be utterly fine offensively um, and be elite offensively, and so they were going to be fine, and I just think I think coaching this league's really, 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 really hard and the no different than the best players in the league. It's the third it's the twenty five best coaches and then if you're not one of the five, you stand out like a really sore thumb. Um and if you look at first year head coaches, they're generally not doing very well. Um so, you know, MA Doka and Boston's had a little controversy already, right? As a as a first year head coach, Orlando's team's not very good, so I'm not gonna really criticize Jamal mostly for being two and seven, but New Orleans is one and eight. You know, that seems a little Harsh. Portland's three and five. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go put that on first year coach until he figures it out. Um, so, you know, and if you look at the teams that are good right now, all of those coaches have all been in the league for an awfully long time, right? Like Snyder, Spolstra, Rivers, Donovan, are the best records in the NBA. Come on, like that's yeah, they got good teams, but that's also like really good adventure. Um, so the team I would reevaluate right now is the Clippers. Um, I missed, I think, on that. I thought they would be fine offensively. Now, Marky Morris didn't really feel like doing training, it looks like, and so he's not really ready to go, and so a bunch of their support staff around them. And maybe I just didn't understand the of uh, not having Kawhi Leonard where I run my They just don't understand the the value of somebody carrying 25 possessions, 20 possessions in a night. They look at, you know, the distribution of 85, 90 on a given night and say, oh, you'll be fine. But I don't think my system understands the the value of that. And I think both Denver and the Clippers are in that. Denver's offense is 24th in the league right now, and the Clippers is 22nd. Um, that, that's an area. Golden State, um, frankly, what I, you know, they're the number one defense in the NBA right now. And so if that really is going to hold, then they're really, really good. Um and I just didn't have um, I didn't on defense in the NBA this year, um, so that's that's the question. Uh, their offense is um, kind of where I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, really my system charts offenses, and I missed on that one a little bit. Phoenix is a little surprising to me right now. We'll see. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. I think I think Phoenix and Milwaukee are super tired. They had no off season. And so probably have to let them work their way through. Um, but my my area where maybe I was wrong is Denver and the Clippers seem to be the burden of playing without a marquee possession user seems to be more than I would have anticipated. He's David Locke. David, you enjoy South Beach. Jazz in the Heat Saturday. Jazz in Orlando Sunday. We'll hear you right here on the Zone Sports Network. So is it like a bad sign that when I was 20-whatever traveling, I would take the long cab ride into South Beach and spend the day over there. And now I'm excited because the New York Times put out a top 50 restaurants, and I'm going to one of those. Everybody that's that older, David, it happens. 
I don't know what yeah, to tell you. I kind of, kind of figure. Okay, yeah. sounds good. All right. All right. Thanks. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He will be back on the air tomorrow, 5.30, the Jazz and the Heat. Coming up, Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. Join us in 15 minutes here on The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. After a battle against Bronco Mendenhall in Virginia, the Cougars finally get a week off from Power 5 opponents as they welcome in Idaho State to Provo. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Friday is presented by Stonehaven Dental. At Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams, x-rays for new patients, and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. I'm in a good mood today. And I'm in a group of one. I'm surrounded by a sea of negativity, except for Yak, who is dancing to show tunes. But other than that, a sea of negativity. No Donovan Mitchell versus the Hawks. No problem. How impressive is that? Donovan sat, and the Jazz won by 18. 116-98. Jordan Clarkson went for 30. The Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Final last year. They had the world champs tied up 2-2 in the Eastern Final. They're a young team on the way up. Trey Young... He's a budding star. I suppose you could say he's arrived. Clint Capella. <laughs> we saw him in Houston. We know he's good. You run down that roster, they got talent. They did not luck their way in the Eastern Conference Final. Now, did they get there ahead of schedule? Should it have taken another year or two? Sure, maybe you can argue that. And the Jazz dominated the fourth quarter without Donovan Mitchell. How impressive is that? And Vixter goes super negative. Much more impressive than the Padres' regular season record. And then takes the snipping tool, as if I don't know the Padres finished with a losing record, and sends me the division standings with San Diego 28 games behind San Francisco. Vixter, man, you're just trying to hurt me. Like I haven't had a lifetime of dealing with Padre disappointment. Two World Series appearances in my entire existence. Well, really, in their entire existence. Who are we kidding? In everybody's entire existence. Four and a half games in front of the lowly Rockies. Yeah, they fell apart. They crashed and burned. They, I don't know, give me another cliche. Poop the bed. Whatever. Yes, I'm aware, Vixter. Don't try to hurt me. Jazz fans cannot celebrate a Jazz victory unless they know someone else is hurting. What is wrong? Shake off the negativity, people. Let's go. All right, Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. Uh, scheduled to join us next. I've been telling you about that all morning. I know you fans are tuning in to hear about that. Get the latest on Stanford. Is Tanner McKee going to play or not? And turns out I've been lying to you. But I didn't know I was lying. Scott just notified uh, Yaki he's got to bump back to 9.30. So Scott's on hold. Not, not literally, but... Essentially. And we will talk with Scott Reese, Stanford play-by-play voice at 9 o'clock. The Cardinal 
Why in the world did they beat Oregon, get to 3-2? and two? That was their third win in four games. They lost their opener because they started the wrong quarterback. They switched quarterbacks and went three out of four. They beat Oregon. I mean, they were on their way. Stanford's going to be good. And suddenly they've lost three in a row. It turned out Oregon, which I thought was the launching point for their season, was the last good thing that happened to them. What the heck has happened? We'll ask Scott coming up at 9 o'clock, and we'll ask if Tanner McKee's going to play or if they're going to be back to the quote-unquote wrong quarterback. All right, that's coming up at 9.30. DJ and PK, more time for your reaction to the Jazz win. More time on a football Friday for you to celebrate the wins that seem inevitable for the locals this weekend. A month of victories that seems inevitable. We're going to get to Thanksgiving, and local college football fans are going to be giving thanks for a bunch of victories. We'll do that next. Stay with us. This week's Raiders game against the Giants, or as they used to say, the New York football Giants, which hasn't really been necessary to say since the Giants baseball team moved to San Francisco in 1950-whatever. But in any case, the Raiders and the New York football Giants game is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raiders debit card. All the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. No Donovan Mitchell versus the Hawks. No problem. How impressive is that? A few of you are responding to that. A few of you liking it. But basically the Jazz won, and you can't really engage in that because it's too positive. We need more negativity. Vixter tweeting back at me much more impressive than the Padres' regular season record. And Vixter clipping and snipping the old National League West standings, which show the Padres... Four games below 500, 28 games out of first place. I sent back the, why are you so mean to me with a little kid who's uh, puckering up and starting to cry. And Vixter said, now you know, and sent back the tweet, wouldn't it be great if Oregon and BYU could play this season to determine which team is the best in the West? That really bugged you fans. That led to a whole lot of back and forth between Utah and BYU fans. 10 to 15 times more impressions than my average tweet gets. And for the record, I'm always going to be in favor of good teams playing each other. There are not enough good, interesting games. Look at the NFL schedule this weekend. There's too many teams with winning records playing too many teams with losing records. Give me a big game. There's a reason Michigan-Michigan State was setting records for viewership and the ratings were through the roof and all that. Undefeated, in-state rivals. We all get it. That stuff's great. You fans, you can't honestly be mad and honestly say, well, we're the best team in the West. Now, you got a month, maybe a little more than a month. Maybe you will be able to say that, but right now you're 5-3. and three, And you lost to three teams in the West. If you lose to BYU and San Diego State and Oregon State, you can't really be the best in the West. Now, the schedule's lightening up, and the team looks like it's playing better. And if you can beat Oregon twice, which to me seems like a tall task, but if you can beat Oregon twice, you got a shot. Now, if you lose to Oregon at home, but you beat them in the Pac-12 title game, and yes, the Utes can definitely lose to Oregon at home and get to the Pac-12 title game without question. That's why the game tonight is big. If they win tonight, I don't think the Oregon game matters. They're on the way to the Pac-12 title game because they'll beat Arizona and Colorado and they're in. There is a chance the Utes could go 2-2. Two and two. As long as ASU loses again, Utes would still be in the Pac-12 title game. I mean, they'll go into the Pac-12 title game. They're a bigger lock than Oregon is. 
Oregon still got to battle it out with Washington and Oregon State, and they may well emerge as a team. Wouldn't it be great if Oregon and BYU could play this season to determine which team is the best in the West? So, let's peel back the layers of the onion here. Multiple reasons. Yak, you grew up in Mountain View. Well, I mean, you grew up in Orem, but you went to Mountain View High. Went to Mountain View High, yeah. Mountain View, more school than a neighborhood. Sorry, my bad. The list of reasons that this bugs Ute fans and the list of reasons the Cougar fans engage in this, because they definitely poured fuel on the fire when they saw the, the smoke rising. And I'm curious, what about this goes to the core of the rivalry? A rivalry lots of people will try to deny exists. A small percentage of BYU fans, well, we're independent, they're better than us, just let it go. I'm going to love my team, I'm a Cougar, but whatever, sure. I'm, not, I'm not buying into it. Which, I don't think is 100% true. And you fans are like, we're over them, we don't need to play them anymore. I think the thing that this gets at for Utah fans is the fact that Oregon is currently sitting in the four spot in the college football playoff rankings of the top dog. Cool. And Utah aspires to be top dog. Okay, but if I'm a Ute fan, that doesn't bother me. But then the other... Wait a minute, tell me why I'm wrong. PK is usually here to tell me why I'm wrong. I'm really missing PK right now because I could throw this out there and he'd tell me why I'm stupid. He lives for this. DJ, here's why you're stupid. You are now in PK's role. So, but and I will run this by PK on Monday if I can remember, which is only 50-50. The, big, the bigger issue at play here with that tweet in particular is the BYU aspect of it. Quote-unquote little brother over there is 15th in the country. They beat you this year head-to-head. Mm-hmm. They snapped the, what was it, nine? It was Yeah, nine straight. Yeah. 12-year win streak. You know, I, I know all that. And that's why you fans then, are like, you're, okay, you're not the best this year. They got a better record, and they beat you head-to-head. So that... Should solve it. But Those it are the two stick, ways we decide. But it's it better. sticks in the craw of Utah. Fans. Ah, it's a one-off. Utah's Utah looks. They're looking better now than they did in September. But if you look they at, could look really good next year. If you look at Twitter and social media, Utah fans are not looking at it as a one-off. It feels like that's just. The, you that, think Ute fan? That's my so perception. I'm not buying this. Ute fan, weigh in on this. Is Ute fan cranky because? They think they're down and they're going to be down for a long time. I don't necessarily think it's that. They just they, they don't like the fact that BYU got one over on them, and they've got gotten... okay. But you can't win forever. The list of rivalries in this country where one team's won ten in a row, let alone nine in a row, is it's, very short. It's very rare. Yeah. So it just happens. It's a one-off. Big brother should be big brother. Pat little brother on the hand, head and send him on his way. Well, I think one that thing, was nice. You got one. But you there's, got also a nice a, team. there's also a break for the next two years. So this is something BYU gets to hold over them for the next three, just because they by virtue of not playing. Yeah, but next year I've already seen the schedule. Utah can go right back to you're not playing any Power Five teams. Get back to me when you're in the Big Twelve because I saw you in it and you had a pretty good team and you still got it handed to you. Yeah, Baylor. Like, BYU blew the Boise State game. That loss, to me, is not about how good the Broncos are. That loss is about how bad the Cougars were that day. And because I've seen the Cougars on other days, I think they should have been better. And I'm not alone. But the Baylor game was different. Baylor was better. They pushed BYU around. And I'm not buying into it. It was because BYU didn't have it that day or didn't want to be there. They wanted it. They just weren't good enough. They couldn't get it done. And Baylor looks like the second or third best team in that league. Now, Oklahoma's leaving, but Cincinnati's showing up. Now, maybe Fickle won't be there, and Cincinnati would be in a different place. But there must be a little bit of BYU fans thinking, what are we getting into? 
I actually, Utah fans thought that going into the Pac-12, what are you getting into? The first year with a D2 quarterback and eight wins and this close to second place in the Pac-12, although they blew it because they lost to a yeah. Colorado team to finish 3-10. and 10. Oof! Oof! That one's But bad. still, nobody knew back-to-back five and sevens were coming. Well, I actually had a conversation with an extended family member of mine who's a BYU fan who actually brought that very point. He's like, we sure we want to go into the Big 12 if that's what it's going to yes. look like? Yes. I was like, yes, you do. Because you have to figure it out. Yeah. You've wanted a seat at the big boys' table. But it, and I know based on college football politics, the Big 12 may get pushed away from the big boys' table, but I don't think so because I think they're going to this 12-team playoff. So I think this notion of Power 5 that wasn't a thing a decade ago is now very much a real thing. I think in another decade, it isn't going to be a thing again. And actually, it's going to be less than a decade. It's not going to be a thing again. But so going back to that conversation, I kind of pointed at Utah and that those two five and seven seasons. You can it, grow it, into it. It takes time to grow into that level of a program. Maybe. But see, I think you hit it right. Utah had other problems. Sure, they had quarterback issues and they had passing game issues, issues that haunted them much longer. Now they did step it up in other areas. And in one way, BYU's actually got some lead time here, which Utah did not have to get ready for it. And are you only good if you win it all? Like, that's what it's like. Second place is a complete and total failure. It's no fun. You never go with friends and family to whatever your stadium is, hang out, watch them beat another team, and have a good time. No, It's never. like it's got to be first place or bust. Second place is first loser. I don't mind that to a degree because I want my team to be chasing the best. Sure. And to get back to the Padre tweet that got caught up in the middle of all of this, this year was great for the Padres, even though it sucked over the last two months, because for the first time in a decade, you knew for sure that ownership and management were trying. There were many years in the last decade you could say, they folded this hand before they saw the cards. They're out. 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 Now, at least they're trying. Did it get screwed up? Yes. Did they have the wrong manager? Probably. Did they have too many injuries to pitchers? Absolutely. Does this team, at its core, have the toughness it takes to grind through the playoffs? Uh-oh. Probably not. Back to Locke. Does it take some scars and they'll figure it out? Maybe. Hope so. I'm glad they're at least in the mix. I'll be watching next year because given the payroll, I think they're trying again. That makes them more interested. BYU, the recruiting philosophy has changed. Bronco was going to do it with gutty underachievers. And he won a lot with that. But the Utes had a lot of NFL talent and beat them year after year. Kalani has recruited differently. It takes six years in the BYU pipeline to get the seniors who know the deal and are ready to win at a high level. you got to wait two extra years for missions. They're there now. Years five and six under Kalani look different. Yeah, 11-1 last year, and right. we're looking at probably So the rivalry could be more back and forth. But deep down, is the rivalry really fun if you win 9 out of 10? Is it really a rivalry? It's a one-way rivalry. I'm from San Diego. I could lecture you until 10 o'clock on one-way rivalries. The Dodgers are a rivalry! That's news to the Dodgers. Breaking news in L.A. The Dodgers are geared up for the Giants. They're not geared up for the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the Padres. One-way rivalries. I'm the king of them. I know all about them. You got a two-way rivalry. Embrace it. It's a big deal when you win. 
Well, play for two years. That'll just make the game bigger. And there is a chance he'll play now when BYU goes into the Big 12, Alamo Bowl, Big 12, Pac-12. I'm ready. Move the rivalry game to San Antonio. You know, they've got this stuff, if you start seeing the bowl projections where they're doing pool, that's the way to go. We're, we're, I've been begging for it for years, and they're moving that way. Maybe this alliance thing, which is really about the playoffs and TV, but maybe this is one thing they could do off to the side. Pool some more leagues for the bowl game. Create better bowl games. If you're going to play them, could you make them more interesting? There isn't much debate about how not interesting they have evolved into. So make them more interesting. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal, play-by-play voice. He's joining us next. Big game for the Utes. Big game the Utes ought to win. I'm a little confused about the point spread in this one. It seems to me the Utes should be overwhelming favorites the way the Aggies and the Cougars are. And really the way college football is going to go for the next month. We talk about BYU and November as an independent, which thankfully is coming to an end. You know, November isn't great for BYU's schedule. But you look at the Utes, the Aggies, and the Cougars' schedule. How many games should these three teams lose? Ten and two? Seems to me to be a pretty moderate pick for the month for these three teams. 11-1 11-1 and one or 12-0 and 0 are possible. Don't want to push all the chips to the middle and put it all in on 12-0, and 0, but I'm looking around like, where's the problem? Everybody's got two gimmies, and everybody's got a third game that sounds okay on the surface, but when you look at it, really isn't that good. The Cougars ought to roll Idaho State. They ought to roll Georgia Southern. USC on the surface looks good, but USC is a mess And by the end of the season, if BYU gets a two-touchdown lead, is FC just going to fold the tent and go home? Utah State ought to blow out New Mexico State tomorrow. They got New Mexico, that hammer those guys. But Wyoming, after starting 4-0 against a pretty soft schedule, has now lost four straight conference games. Should Utah State mess that game up? 5-4 San Jose, who could easily be 5-5 San Jose by the time the game rolls around, looks like the tough game down the stretch. And for the Utes... Arizona hasn't won in a couple years. Colorado has beaten Arizona and Northern Colorado and nobody else. And now you got Stanford, who's 3-5, and five, lost three in a row, and could be missing their starting quarterback, and they have no run game and no run defense. My gosh, these teams ought to be doing a lot of, running, a lot of winning down the stretch. In the case of Houston, I had a lot of running. That will run right over these guys. We'll talk with Scott Reese about that coming up next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State Award winner Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with a free Apple iPad to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular hosting subscription. Please visit smartrain.net or call 877-346-3333. Scott, good morning. Good morning to you, too, sir. Scott, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
<laughs> so let's start with the big question just because the quarterback is the quarterback and it's the most important position in the game, followed by the pass rusher who disrupts the quarterback. Uh, Stanford doesn't run the ball well, so the quarterback's a big deal. Is Tanner McKee going to play or not? What do you think? Yeah, the quarterback's a big deal, especially as well as McKee has played all year. Um, my gut says no. Um, that's nothing more than a gut. I have not been to practice the last couple of days, so it is uh, strictly conjecture. But, you know, I know how Stanford deals with injuries. They're definitely on the conservative side. Uh, Tanner was limping around pretty good after the game last week. And uh, obviously, if he does not go, that's, uh, that's a blow. I mean, he's been one of the, the best you know, uh, quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, even with the limited experience he had, uh, this kid's the real deal. And so I think it would, be, uh, it would be a scratch and claw kind of effort for Stanford if he can't go. So if he can't go, uh, one of the narratives to this season is, well, they lost the first game because they started the wrong quarterback. Uh, they've got a quarterback, uh, an Air Force transfer, who basically plays quarterback but doesn't throw passes. So do you play the guy who doesn't throw? Do you play the wrong quarterback? What happens if Tanner McKee can't go? Well, you know, I, I'm certain they don't look at the decision that way. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, they have confidence in Jack West. Uh, he's made three starts at the collegiate level. Um, I, you know, I also think he's been uh, treated kind of unfairly. You know, he had a start two years ago against UCLA as a sophomore where he was the third stringer. He was in no way, shape, or form ready uh, for big-time college football in that moment, and the start was a disaster. And I think a lot of people rushed to judgment. Last year, Davis Mills has a false positive COVID test on day one in Oregon, of all places. And Wes makes the start. He played pretty well. He acquitted himself well. And this year, you know, week one, Kansas State, yeah, it didn't go well. And, you know, both quarterbacks alternated. So, you know, West has experience. He's a senior. He's been around. He knows the system. Uh, You know, he's going to be more of a game manager, obviously, than Tanner McKee. But my guess is he will be the guy. and, And, you know, do they sprinkle in Isaiah Sanders, who's the Air Force transfer that you speak of, uh, they certainly will. The question is, will it be more than just third and one and goal line? And, and obviously the answer to that, we'll find out tonight. So after that Kansas State loss in the opener, they go with McKee. They beat USC at USC. Everybody at Stanford feels good about that because everybody loves to win at USC. <laughs> yeah. They go to Vanderbilt and win, win in back-to-back road games. I know it's Vandy, but that's not the easiest thing to do, travel across the country and win, and they do it. They do lose to UCLA, which is a downer at home. They bounce back and beat Oregon. So you're thinking, well, they won three out of four, and Stanford may not be great, but they look like they're pretty good. And they lose at Arizona State. They lose at Washington State. They lose at home to Washington. They got a three-game losing streak. They're now three and five. All the mojo from that, you know, winning that three out of four and beating Oregon seems out the window. How did it all go wrong? Because walking off the field after Oregon, nobody thought they were going to lose their next three games. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it's that's such a difficult question, as it always is, right? There's no one answer. Um, I'll give you a couple of reasons. One is the excuse, but it's a legit excuse with Stanford, is the injuries, right? Uh, you know, a team that has struggled to run the ball was so dynamic in the passing attack, and then in that Oregon game, you lose Bryson Tremaine, who was the highest-rated player, not just on the offense, on the entire roster at wide receiver. He was an absolute revelation. So your number one wide receiver, poof, gone. You don't have your... Uh, you're a number one wide receiver from last year who's still coming back from injury, who actually might play tonight for the first time, and that's Michael Wilson. And then you lose John Humphreys, who's uh, your number three receiver to injury, and he's been gone for the last three weeks. So all of a sudden, a team that has relied heavily on the pass was down to one 
a credible wide receiver, um, which is a tough way to go about winning games. So that's part of it. Um, but, you know, if, if you scratch beneath the circus, uh, circus, Freudian slip, if you fly beneath the surface, uh, you look at the last two games. I mean, Stanford had leads over Washington State and Washington with the ball with five or six minutes to go. You know, they were one first down away, arguably, from being, you know, five and three right now, or you know, one first down in both those games from being five and three instead of three and five, and we're having a much different conversation. So, um, you know, it's the ability to win late. It's the ability to win close games. And, frankly, that is an ability that David Shaw has shown, you know, over and over and over during his tenure at Stanford, but it hasn't gone their way the last two weeks. And so here we are. Why doesn't Stanford have a better run game? One 100 back, one 100 yard back all year. Pete had an 87 yard run against USC, so obviously got over 100 in that game at 115. That's not the Stanford we've all been watching for the last decade. No, it's not, uh, and that's been really the mystery to everybody uh, because heading into this season, you know, with the uncertainty of quarterbacks, we hadn't seen Tanner McKee. The question was, boy, you know, is this team going to be able to throw the ball? But boy, we know they're going to be able to run it because of the backs that they have coming back and the line that they have coming back. So they flipped the script completely. It has been an absolute mystery. A lot of it's on the offensive line. Um, it's been good in spurts, but it hasn't been good enough, obviously, from you know top to bottom and, and throughout the course of the season. Um, you know, I think that the, uh, Austin Jones got dinged up in week one, and I think there was uh, a little bit of lag in coming back from that injury. He didn't seem to have the same burst that he had a year ago. Um, but really, I, I still don't have an answer. It's honestly mind-boggling because they should be able to run the ball with the personnel that they have. New offensive line coach this year, you know, there's some subtleties there, and maybe the, you know, they're doing some different things, and they just, you know, it's taking longer to gel. I wish I knew the answer. They wish they knew the answer because obviously that's that's a big deal with Stanford's offense. So the only thing that's uh, more surprising than that is Stanford's inability to stop the run. They've held only two teams under 200 yards this year, 200 being an enormous number. And USC and Washington yeah. State both want to spread the field and throw it. So, of course, you can hold them under 200. But SC ran for 185 yards and Wazoo ran for 100. So what in the world is going on there? And how are they going to slow the Utes down? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> it's been a, a recurring theme. You know, you can't. You can't deny the numbers. They are what they are. Um, you know, teams have seen uh, a perceived weakness. They've exploited it. Uh, Stanford has not been able to adjust to stopping the run. Um, you know, they they have one you know star up front, right, with, with Thomas Booker on the defensive line. Um, but they have not gotten the complimentary play uh, from you know the role players. Uh, I think to, to to back up Booker, who's you know obviously been a really good Pac-12 player for a long time. Uh, I think the linebackers have gotten better over the course of the year, but they're still dealing with guys who, even though they look like seniors in the box score, are extremely inexperienced. Uh, Ricky Mieza and Jacob Mangum Farrar, they're two starters at inside linebacker. They're both seniors. And they have played a combined one game in their careers heading into this year because of year-long injuries multiple times. And so they've still got guys who are getting used to you know the flow of college football. And it sounds like an excuse, but you know if you're asking me to explain it, they've got dudes in the linebacking core, um, and it's gotten better, but it's obviously not good enough. And, and they have to be better at stopping the run because you're not going to beat good teams, obviously, giving up 200 yards on the ground. 
Most people like to be right. I'm no different. I like to be right. And as I ask you all these questions, I just feel like a total honk because they all add up to, well, Utah's going to win this game easily. And yet, I look at the point spread and, like, don't argue with Vegas. These people do it for a living. They're rarely wrong. They totally butchered the issue Wazoo spread last week. But aside from that, they're very rarely wrong. So what's going to keep this game so close and make it a one-possession game? Because that's what Vegas thinks. You know, I... The, the quarterback obviously is an X factor. It, you know, if, if McKee plays, if McKee doesn't play, that's that's a big deal. There's no getting around that. But I will say this: you know, Stanford has had this strange little habit uh, over the entirety of David Shaw's tenure of playing its best when uh, nobody expects them to win. Now, those situations have been rare, obviously, under David Shaw, but seems like uh, and, and there was a number a couple years back that as a double-digit underdog. I think he was 4-0 and at one point in his career, straight up, not against the spread. So it just, just somehow, some way, handling adversity. And I think that's part of what has you know, really defined David Shaw's tenure is these teams are so mentally tough, and the next man up philosophy is, is ingrained. And they just, you know, they, they get it. They play through adversity. They rise up. All, all the, you know, the hokey things you want to talk about. But it's true. I mean, look. All, all you have to do is look at last year, right? I mean, they were they were banished from their own stadium for a month because of COVID. They were the only Power Five team that couldn't play a game at home for the last month of the season because of the Santa Clara County, you know, goofy COVID rules or whatever at the time. And uh, lo and behold, four straight road games didn't come home in between because if they came home, they'd have to quarantine. So they were literally on the road for four straight weeks, which nobody does. I mean, who does that in college football? And they went four and zero. And that's, you know, it was that, that, you know, adversity, the road dog mentality they embraced it. So there's something to that with Stanford. I don't know if, you know, Vegas is, is on to that, and that explains, you know, I don't really deal in spreads, but uh, I can tell you that you can't count this team out just because you look on paper and say, oh, yeah, they should lose this game. So David Shaw's in his 11th year now. The first five years, he had a Fiesta Bowl and three Rose Bowls. A phenomenal run. A couple 11-win seasons, a couple 12-win seasons. Phenomenal results. Now, since then, he's only been in double digits one. The last double-digit win season was 2016. Uh, everybody here, because of the Mountain West days, knows about Gary Patterson and TCU. I don't think this is exactly what happened with Patterson and TCU, but it's not so all. The, it's also not all that different. And we just know how college football is trending. Win now or get out of the way. We pay you a buyout and we give a gazillion dollars to the next guy who may or may not be able to do it, but we do it anyway. Uh, is there any of that around Stanford, or is Stanford really different? And Shaw's the guy, and take that storyline somebody somewhere else. Yeah, the latter. 100%. Stanford is different. Uh, Shaw's the guy. There is zero, uh, I mean, again, I can't speak to what's going on behind closed doors within the administration, but I would be very, very surprised if there was even a hint of, you know, Gary Patterson-itis uh, within the administration. Uh, I think David Shaw has lifetime tenure here and will coach here as long as he wants to coach here. And I think that the administration is perfectly fine with that and perfectly happy. And they, be- they believe that, you know, he will be the guy two years from now that he was, you know, three years ago. So uh, the trend is disturbing. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, the numbers are what they are. Now, Stanford would have gone to, gone to a bowl game last year and probably a pretty good one at four and two, but they opted out because, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, the aforementioned road right. uh, month on the road after COVID, they just couldn't do it anymore. So they said thanks, but no thanks. Um, but that said, you know, two years ago was not good. And this year is obviously three and five. So, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but but uh, your point, your question is extremely reasonable, and I think that there are many schools around the nation where uh, a lot more eyebrows would be raised. But Stanford is a little bit different. Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play guy, vo- joining us. Uh, the Utes have the tiebreaker on ASU. They're a game in front of them with four to go. They got the tiebreaker on USC and UCLA, and they're two up in the loss column there with four to go. And they still get to play Arizona and Colorado. So it sure seems like the Utes are going to the Pac-12 title game if they get past Stanford tonight. You're covering all these teams in the North, seeing all these teams in the North. Uh, Oregon's got the lead, but man, there's a bunch of teams piled up right behind them. This race could change real quickly with the Oregon-Washington game, Oregon-Oregon State. There's, there's plenty of big games to be played here. Who do you think is going to win the North? Yeah, um, you know it's been such a such a, a jumble the entire year, and yet Oregon's still sitting there with the one loss. Uh, and obviously, as, as having been in the press box for the one loss, you know you think that that Oregon is vulnerable. And, and I have, you know, uh, long been of the opinion that this Oregon team is very good, but not great. You know, this is not a to me, it's not a college football playoff caliber team. And then, you know, obviously, I'd love to see the Pac-12 represented. Um, Oregon State is tough, and I, I haven't seen them in person yet. We go there next week. Um, Washington State, I have seen in person, and they, they've got something weird going on with, you know, the Rolovich firing. They're, they're playing for each other. It's galvanizing the team, and, and, you know, I don't think people are taking them seriously enough because they're good enough on defense that it complements what we know is a good offense, and they can, they can win any game that they play. So uh, I still think, to me, until proven otherwise, Oregon's still the team to beat, but I in no way say this with confidence that, oh, yeah, they're going to run the table. Because I, I think they may drop a game somewhere, but you know, then you go to tiebreakers and two losses here and there and, and whatnot, and I haven't done all the scenarios. So um, to me, Oregon is the best team by a hair but it's a lot closer than the rankings would indicate. Well, a lot of those tie-breaking scenarios you don't have to do yet because the three teams on two losses right behind them are still on Oregon's schedule. Washington this week, Washington yeah. State in two weeks. Right. And after the Oregon plays right. at Utah, then they play Oregon State. Those are the teams. It's uh, those four right. teams right. in the north. So, Well, Scott, well, we appreciate it. I would be, oh, I just say, I, I would be mildly surprised if Oregon doesn't drop one more game the rest of the way, but I you know, again, then you then you got all the two lost teams, and you you let the chips fall where they may. Scott, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game yeah. tonight. No problem. You got it. All right, there is Scott Reese, Stanford Cardinal play-by-play voice. The number one reason to believe the Utes could have a problem tonight is because Stanford is really good when it looks like they have no shot. It's very Kyle Whittinghamish. Get your back against the wall. Don't roll over. Summon your best effort. Now, if Tanner McKee doesn't go, is there enough talent? Because they don't run the ball, and he's the guy who throws it. So if they don't have him, then they just, they just don't have enough talent. If they have him, though, and you get a few turnovers, and we know the Utes had turnover problems, you know, it's been about a month, and they seem to have fixed them, but if they pop back up, then anything can happen. DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, your feedback. Coming up next, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. I wanted to sing that, but with the music playing in the background, the two tunes don't mash. I just can't do it. I have standard jock. I can't do it. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up. It's a special. $59 for the furnace tune-up special. Or you can visit them online at leesheatac.com. Time for your feedback. 
On the topic of Utah and BYU and BYU this year, and wouldn't it be great if BYU and Oregon could play to determine the best team in the West? You Shasta trailer post this. I think some BYU fans read more into this win than there is. You won one game in 12 years. Yep, congratulations on one and nine. Proclaim the return of your dynasty, which lasted 19 years of the 100-year history. Enjoy your seat at the G5 table in the Big 8.4. Hold on, so we have the Big 8.4 now versus the Pac 10.2? Yes. Okay. Because neither one of these leagues, (laughs) or the, the, no, take that back. Neither one of the fan bases want to acknowledge how good these leagues are and where they fit in the pecking order. So Pac-10.2 versus... Are either one of these leagues the two biggest, best leagues in college football? No, No. it's the Big Ten and the SEC. Yeah. And because you're in the mountain time zone, you're not getting in the Big Ten and the SEC. The Big Ten and the SEC thinks everybody else blows. The Big Ten is getting outflanked by the SEC. The only reason this alliance exists with the ACC and the Pac-12, because the Big Ten realized they were getting aced out. ESPN was going to monopolize college football and give SEC all the best kick times. ESPN's going to outflank them. They need some partners. They blew off the Big 12, and they said, Pac-12, we got a long-term relationship with you. Okay, fine. ACC, come here, you knuckleheads. We want to play games in the South and recruit Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas. So there's a marriage of convenience. While the Big Ten needs these two allies to outnumber the SEC. Okay? Everybody's a pawn in this game. Nobody's the big dogs. So BYU fans and independents have been sniping at 10.2, so you just the trailer said, yeah, well, I got your 8.4 right here. The truth is, again, there's more similarities and differences between Utah and BYU. I'm just excited. They're both in leagues that are getting dismissed. But it's a step up for both leagues over the Mountain West where they were facing what Utah State now faces, which is Utah State should win the division, and they know they should win the division a month before the season's over. I've got to be honest about this. That's the first time I've ever heard it referred to as the Big 8.4. But I've it, seen but, it out there a but, couple times. But it makes yeah. sense because it's, it's going back at the Pac-10.2. Yeah, exactly. So it made me and I do think what you should ask the trailer is that the coming to BYU isn't to get upset because BYU-Oregon, it would be great to see that game. It'd be two ranked teams. we get like 50 college football games this weekend in the Bulls subdivision, and one of them matches ranked teams. So, yeah, it would be great if Oregon played BYU because then we'd have two games matching ranked teams. Mostly got lopsided games. Now, it's college football, so we'll probably get some upsets and near upsets to entertain us. This is not a good weekend on the college schedule. It would be great to have a BYU-Oregon game. Yeah, dude, this is you Shasta trailer. you got to bring your Ute fans along. And I know you're up there barbecuing, welcoming the visitors, welcoming everybody. you got to bring your Ute brethren along. Don't get all angry and fired up. Just pat them on the head. Congrats on one and nine. I'm glad you got one. We'll see you in three years when you want to play again. Or when we want to play again. Although I do think going forward, both of them are going to have these issues. It's a problem with a 12-game season and a nine-game schedule. Yeah. All the rivalry snark aside, which it will never be aside. But there's only three spots to play. And depending on who else you're playing, Tom scheduled a bunch of good games. He's going to try and salvage some of them. We already saw a movement. I think USF got moved. Already, so we're, yep. we're already starting to see it start getting games move move back, altered, all types of stuff. And I'm with you. If this is a thing that's played once or twice every three years, it's probably an accomplishment. 
It shouldn't be. We need more good college we, we, football we, we games. We do. We do. And this one's always good. We do. I can't say always. But you're it's, right. It's, Just, it's, it's going to be yeah. better than most games most of the time. You sure. will have the occasional 54 to 10. It happens. But most of these games are awesome. I'm up for awesome football games. Let's line them up. You, you and me both, but I'm just... Uh, Let's go! Nine-game conference schedules are going to preclude it. Man, then Utah State gets left out, and the Aggie fans can really whine. Yep. I'm from San Diego. I can help you whine. I've had some experience in that. Uh, call me up. I'll help you out. All right. Coming up next, it's Ben. It's Jake. Right here, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.